Are you ready? Yes. All right. Uh, Mr. Chair, the room is ready. Thank you. Luke Sinclair Chair. Um, welcome, everyone. Good evening. This is the uh, Wednesday, August 25th, 2021 meeting of the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Commission. Um, you know, there's no general business, so we can just launch right into the communications section. Jeff, uh, Crick, is there, are there any written um, communications from the public that we need to receive? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. All public communications were included in your package. What about communications from staff, planning commissioners, or other commissioners? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services, would like to call attention to a memo that was late, excuse me, added later, late this afternoon on the text amendment for this evening related to the LISA system. Uh, it was a follow-up to some questions we received from the Planning Commission uh, ahead of the item. So to make sure that you all had the information, we included that memo as part of the packet. Great, thank you. Luke Sinclair Chair, are there any written actions of waiver requests or determinations made by the city engineer to receive? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services, none this evening. Luke Sinclair Chair, are there any ex parte communications that any commissioners need to disclose? Commissioner Willie. I had a conversation about miscellaneous item number one uh, with Paul Warner, which means I had to go back and watch the entire meeting that I missed from the last time, which I should have done anyway. Thank you, Commissioner Willie. Luke Sinclair Chair, are there any others? Not seeing any. Uh, then are there any declarations of abstention by any commissioner from a specific agenda item tonight? Don't see any there, that's good. Um, that brings us to general public comment. Uh, are there any individuals on the Zoom call or in the chambers that wish to make general public comment unrelated to an item on the agenda tonight? And if so, please indicate that you wanna talk and you have three minutes. Becky Pepper, planning manager. There's no one in uh, City Hall here and there are no raised hands on the zoom thank you becky luke sinclair chair that then brings us to um, our regular agenda and um, i guess before getting into that I, this may be the right time uh, i was going to propose that um, we move for consideration the uh, variance under the miscellaneous new world business um, up to follow um, item number one uh, it's the same, I think they're both represent, the representative on both of those is uh, Paul Werner or his firm. Um, and I'm assuming that the discussion of the Lisa system may be extended. So I was looking to see if any commissioners would have a problem with that, doing it in that order. Um, and if so, I think we need to have a vote on it, which I'm happy to make a motion. I, am I able to make a motion, Jeff, or do we need to have someone besides me do that? Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services. Chair can make a motion on that item and, and according to your biology, I'm vote would be necessary in the item. Okay. Since I suggested it, I'll just, uh, I'll make, make the motion. I move that we um, uh, take the miscellaneous, miscellaneous item number one, which is the variance from sidewalk requirements, second on our agenda tonight. Um, so just to have it before the Lisa discussion. Is there a second on that motion? Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter, I think raised his hand first. Uh, can we have a, a roll call on that, Jeff? 
Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Okay. Uh, Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you all. Um, then we will just launch into the first item uh, on our agenda, which is to consider approving a preliminary plat PP2100220 for uh, Calibri edition, uh, located at 1732 Tennessee Street, 1736 Tennessee Street, and 1744 Tennessee Street. And I believe with uh, from staff, we have Luke Mortensen to present. Good evening, Commissioners. Luke Mortensen, Planner with Planning Development Services Department. Uh, Chair Sinclair just noted item number C1 tonight is a preliminary plat for a three-lot subdivision Calibri edition located at 1732, 1736, and 1744 Tennessee Street. The preliminary plat is the first step of the two-step major subdivision process. Um, as you can tell, this is not a new development. These are existing unplatted parcels that are defined by meets and bounds descriptions at this point. The preliminary plat is the first step in creating a new legal drawing document and lot descriptions for these three parcels. Uh, the parcels require platting via this major subdivision process in order to obtain um, any future building permits. I'll refer mostly to my staff report for the analysis and review, but this item satisfied the conditions set forth by the subdivision regulations um, and specifically section 20-809D of the Land Development Code. The applicant is not proposing to increase the number of lots. Um, there are three existing parcels and there will be three planted lots following this process. Following tonight's meeting and your consideration, staff will work with the applicant to receive and review the second portion of the major subdivision process, the final plat. The final plat document will be reviewed administratively by staff and the planning director and recorded at the Douglas County Register of Deeds. The subject property is zoned RM32 multi-dwelling residential district. The applicant has indicated their proposed land use will be uh, one duplex structure per each proposed lot. Each parcel currently has a single detached dwelling. The proposed lots satisfy the density and dimensional standards for the RM32 district and the adjacent Tennessee Street has adequate right-of-way. There are no right-of-way dedications required. Uh, the Municipal Services and Operations Department has conditioned their future, future final plat approval upon dedication of a 7.5-foot utility easement along the rear property line to ensure access to some varied and overhead utility infrastructure. This, of course, will be considered by the City Commission at a future um, City Commission meeting. With that, I'll wrap up um, with staff's recommendation to approve preliminary plat 21-00220 for Colabrite Edition located at 1732, 1736, and 1744 Tennessee Street. And as Chair Sinclair noted, um, Paul Warner is here um, and, and can speak to the um, topic as well. Hi, my name is Joy Ray with Paul Warner Architects. Um, we do agree with uh, the staff report that we uh, received from the city. And I think Luke, did a great job and we agree with the comments and are ready to move forward. That's pretty much all I have. Luke did a great job, but if you have questions, I'm here to answer any. Thank you, Ms. Ray. Uh, Luke Sinclair, Chair. Are there any members of the public here to um, 
offer comments on this particular item? If so, if you're on the Zoom call, if you can raise your hand or if anyone snuck in in the chambers, uh, please step towards the podium. Becky Pepper, planning manager. There's uh, no one uh, with us here at City, uh, City Hall and I don't see any raised hands on Zoom. Thank you, Becky. Luke Sinclair Chair, then I guess we'll bring this back and uh, talk about it amongst ourselves uh, on the commission. Does anyone um, on the commission have any questions for the applicant or for staff? Is anyone concerned that any of the criteria in 2809D are not met? Does anybody want to make a motion? <laughs> Commissioner Willie, thank you. Just couldn't take the silence. Uh, I move to approve the preliminary plat PP-21-220 for Calabri Edition located at 1732 Tennessee Street and 1736 Tennessee Street and 1744 Tennessee Street. Thank you, Commissioner Willie. We have a motion to approve the preliminary plat. Do we have a second? Commissioner Ashworth, I think you got your hand up. Thank you for that. Luke Sinclair Chair, sorry. Uh, Jeff, could we have a, a roll call on that, please? Yep. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Very good, thank you. Luke Sinclair Chair. Next item then is miscellaneous uh, item number, uh, so D section D1, which is to consider a variance from the sidewalk requirements for minor subdivision MS2100194, located at 700 Lincoln Street. And we have for staff on this one presenting Kyle Kobe. Thank you very much. Kyle Kobe with planning. Um, <clears throat> sorry, as just announced, uh, this next item for consideration tonight uh, concerns a request for a variance uh, for sidewalk requirements at 700 Lincoln Street. This item was heard at last month's meeting on July 28th and deferred to allow for further discussions with staff regarding an agreement not to protest. Just to briefly recap, uh, the subject property is currently undeveloped a site plan application and a minor subdivision application have been received. Subject property is current, I'm sorry. Um, the minor subdivision application proposes to replat this property as three individual lots. Um, one of the code requirements is that sidewalk be installed along the street frontage. The applicant is requesting a variance from that requirement. The site contains approximately 410 linear feet of street frontage. As outlined in the memo included in your attachments, the city engineer does not support deferring the installation of sidewalk at this location via an agreement not to protest. David Cronin, city engineer, is with us here tonight as well. Um, to recap, uh, the options available to the planning commission per section 20-813B2 of the subdivision regulations, the planning commission may either approve or deny the variance request. 
code does not provide the ability to place conditions or stipulations on approval. Section 20-813G2 states, a variance shall not be granted unless all of the following apply. Number one, that strict application of these regulations will create an unnecessary hardship upon the subdivider. Number two, the proposed variance is in harmony with the intended purpose of these regulations. Number three, the public health, safety, and welfare will be protected. Um, at this point, I am going to pivot. I'm going to open the floor for Dave Cronin. I think he might have a few words he wants to say as well. So I'll let Dave take it away. Yeah, uh, good evening. Planning Commission Dave Cronin with the MSO department. Um, and uh, I think <clears throat> attached to the memo, um, you have, I guess, my response. Um, I did watch the, the meeting last month and I guess understand the 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 conversation and the um and i could i guess appreciate how uh the the different discussion points that that were made in the last uh meeting and um overall i guess um my my uh opinion on the matter was basically just in regard to the the size of the project um it, it's was uh, approximately half of a, a city block in a, you know, it, it is infill, but it's a new development um, area. Um, and then looking at, looking at um, when we uh, usually do the agreement, not the protest, those are um, usually in isolated locations where um, you don't have sidewalk on uh, a stretch, a long stretch of a street and there's really no plan to connect it uh, in the future. Um, you could, you may be able to make that argument in this case. Um, I could see that side of it. Um, the flip side is we have sidewalk on the south side of the street for the three blocks to the west. Um, and I guess overall, I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable with the agreement not to protest mechanism for this project, uh, just because I think it kind of deviates from the intent of that, in my opinion. Um, and um, if, if we felt that a sidewalk needed to be put in on that side of the street, I think this is the time that it should be done. If we don't, then this is the time where we should not decide that it does not need to go in and, and, and then a variance would uh, be the consideration, I, I guess. So, um, that, that was, I guess, a little bit of my thought on my opinion of the matter. Um, I guess I would uh, just defer to any questions at this point. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you, Mr. Cronin. And Kyle is at the end of your presentation, just to be clear. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Rexford, did you have a question before we give it to Paul Werner? Yes, just a quick question. Thank you, Commissioner Rexford. Just a quick question for Dave. Um, there's a relatively new development of homes down on the opposite side of the street and down past uh, towards the, uh, I think, the east of of where the uh, this project is being considered. Um, do you have any knowledge of why sidewalks weren't considered at that time for that particular uh, new construction. But what I'm looking at, what I'm looking to understand is, is there something fundamentally different about this area that 
sidewalks weren't being asked for there because of some issue that might also apply to this area? Sure, good, good question. Dave Cronin, uh, city engineer. Um, I think the answer is there's really, there wasn't anything different. Um, that there was a note on the plat for that subdivision to construct sidewalks. Um, and looking back at how that did not occur, um, I, I don't have an answer on, on that. I think it was missed to be quite frank. Um, it, in, in the past, there were instances where we didn't require public improvement plans for sidewalks, standalone sidewalk projects. And we've had a lot of discussion on that with uh, architects and engineers on projects and, and, and should those, should we require public improvement plans? Should we not? Back then on that project, it was not a requirement to do public improvement plans. I think the intention was that they should have been put in with the, uh, with the homes and obviously the houses were constructed, sidewalks were not put in. Um, so um, I think back then the recommendation was to put in sidewalks. There was a note on the plat that said sidewalks would be constructed. And um, so obviously there was something missed on that subdivision. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Rexford again. Um, is, there, is there anything fundamentally different that must occur, whether it's in the, the project that's in front of us tonight or in the homes that were, were built where sidewalks were were specified. Anything fundamentally different that needs to be done in the construction of those lots? Or are we as a city, um, do we have a design that's standard for that area? The reason I'm asking um, is I know that throughout North Lawrence, um, ditches are used uh, to manage stormwater. So I'm just wondering, do we have a plan then for how sidewalks would be constructed in an area that currently manages stormwater? And is that something that's consistent and ready to go across the area? Um, or is there some other development work that needs to be done? Dave Cronin, city engineer. Um, I think more work needs to be done to develop, um, you know, if we were to develop a standard for North Lawrence. So North Lawrence is not a typical standard street. Um, that's not to say that that sidewalks can't be put in with open ditches. There's areas in North Lawrence with open ditch and sidewalks. There's areas with curb and gutter and sidewalks. It's it's a mix and match. So um, open ditches and um, open ditches for stormwater and sidewalks aren't, you know, you pick one or the other in North Lawrence. Um, obviously, in the context of this project and the development and the fill they're putting in, it makes it very tough, if not impossible to get based off the design they've done on the site to have open ditch stormwater and sidewalk in the right of way. So I fully acknowledge that and there would be a, a, a cost to putting in a closed storm sewer across the lot to accommodate stormwater. So um, I think you know, where I where I hope we would get to in, in the future, um, you know, we're getting ready to, to redo our pedestrian plan. Um, you know, right now we are prioritizing sidewalks, the city funded sidewalks on arterial streets, collector streets, safe routes to school. We're having some conversations on, you know, um, expanding how we prioritize infill sidewalks to, to destination routes. Um, so there's a lot of planning work that could be done there to to determine 
you know, on, on some of these local streets in particular with sidewalks on either side, what's, should there be a sidewalk there on either side, both sides, and then what side? Maybe that's more of a neighborhood plan on, on the what side. Um, and so I think that's that's the challenge I, I, I think that we face versus continuing to have these discussions. So I think I was, I struggled with this as well, um, as far as, you know, if I'm asked to make a determination and opinion, um, I guess nothing has changed from when we looked at this originally um, on my feelings on it. Um, but I could, you know, if it, if it, um, I just did not feel it was uh, the situation where the agreement not to protest would be uh, something that I would support because it, the site design doesn't lend itself to saying, okay, we're going to go back and put in a sidewalk here when we have adjacent development um, and then, and then go through a benefit district process or, or the city fund the project. So um, I hope that helps a little. Um, I know it's not black and white, clear with, and North Lawrence is a challenge with, with stormwater, but um, that's a little bit of my, my thought. Very helpful, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Rexroad and uh, Mr. Cronin for your responses. Um, Luke Sinclair Chair, then at this point, I guess we turn it over to Mr. Warner for the applicant. Good evening, Paul Werner with Paul Werner Architects. Uh, I promise I will not reiterate um, much of what we talked about last month. Um, I do feel like we're making progress. I like to think that um, at least we can all agree, um, as Dave just mentioned several things, that one one size does not fit all. So I feel like we are, we are at least moving in the right direction. Um, I appreciate the commission continuing the discussion. Um, I feel like maybe this is why on our side, we're pushing this a little bit more because I, I think this is helpful. I think, um, you know, in the last couple of months that, that these discussions about the sidewalks and and certainly the issues in North Lawrence, um, I, I think it's good. And, and I appreciate Dave being here and answering questions that um, um, make it easier on all of us. And at the end of the day, get us, get us sidewalks where we ought to have sidewalks and where we want them. Um, so Joy Ray from my office and I think Jeff Crick also visited with Dave over the last month. And um, like he mentioned, you have a memo in front of you about, um, you know, where, where he landed and, and it is a tough call. I wanted to point out a couple things in the last year, um, just in North Lawrence. So we, we did a minor sub on Walnut Street that we uh, the owner was allowed to sign an agreement not to protest. Um, we split one of my properties on Elm Street, and I was allowed to sign an agreement not to protest the benefit district. Um, both of these don't have curb and gutters. They're open ditches. They're actually really flat, so it actually made the sidewalks a little easier. Um, but I, I think those were the right calls. There were no sidewalks um, on Elm Street for sure. Um, so I think the, uh, the idea that... Um, with no sidewalks on each side on Elm, that the agreement not to protest was probably the right answer. Um, I will mention now, we did a, doing a little research on other things. Not sure exactly how this popped up, but the American Planning Association um, 
actually has a, a memo out about um, agreements not to protest. And it's it says it's the, the special assessments is a very reliable method of financing sidewalks um, after the streets already built. So even they acknowledge that once the streets already built and the sidewalks not, that um, it, it is a lot more complicated. And certainly in this situation, it's a lot more complicated. Um, all right, uh, a few reminders um, about what we're facing. The entire properties, almost the entire properties in the floodplain, we're adding two to three feet of fill almost over the entire site, um, as Dave would agree. And he even mentioned that the, the um, ditches handle much more water than an enclosed pipe can. Um, our entire site does drain to the north. Um, we've offered a solution to provide the sidewalks to, to Lions Park. Um, I think that's reasonable as opposed to just talking out of So Dave didn't mention in his memo that no argument that's about 410 feet of sidewalk. So that does get a reasonable amount of distance on that side. But um, I'll quote him. I think you had the right comment that maybe we should be discussing is, do we really need sidewalks on both sides of Lincoln Street? And hopefully you guys have driven it. If, if you drive Lincoln Street, the park's on the other side. Um, I know that's what our code requires, but um, gosh, doesn't, doesn't it make the most sense in the world is to put the sidewalk on the north side of Lincoln? Um, it's disappointing that the single family homes that there was a note on the plat. Um, I think Kyle was going to do some research to find out at least if they um, if they sign an agreement not to protest the benefit district, and, and we'll let you guys chime in on that. But um, I know that's kind of a different question, but thinking about Lincoln Street, if you've driven it, that um, I'm going to have to admit I don't see sidewalks on both sides of the street. I'm not sure who that um, helps, but with the 11 new houses uh, and the access to the park right there. It seems that if there is a sidewalk, it probably ought to be on the north side. Um, that seems reasonable. Um, I mean, again, that uh, we would look for, we're, we're happy to sign an agreement not to protest a benefit district. Um, I know there's, I'm not quite sure how the first bullet point on if you guys deny the variance, how that um, it says the applicant would still have the ability to request an agreement not to protest. I'm, I'm not sure how that plays in. I think I think we've done that. Um, we would still hope that uh, even if you guys, if you approve the variance, in my mind, we would ignore the line from um, the city attorney that says that sidewalks could never go in and we would still sign an agreement not to protest about the district. Um, we still think that's the, the best idea. Um, so I guess I would, I would be curious if the single family homes did at least sign an agreement not to protest. Um, and again, I think I'd follow up with, I think maybe that's the bigger question that we've all stumbled upon is do we really need sidewalks on both sides of Lincoln? And if we if we don't, then where should it go? And and maybe it should go to the north side, and maybe that makes all of this a little easier. So that's all I have. I'm happy to answer any questions. Um, 
and Joy's here as well, if there's, she may know more about the site plan. So thank you again for considering this and, and helping us try to figure this out for all of us. So I'll stop there. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Warner. Uh, Luke Sinclair Chair, are there any members of the public on the Zoom call or in um, the City Commission chambers that wish to speak on this item? Becky Pepper, Planning Manager, there are uh, no members of the public in the City Commission room, and I do not see any raised hands on Zoom. Thank you, Becky. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Then uh, with that, we'll bring it to the Commission for discussion. And um, I guess before launching in, I just wanted to see uh, Kyle, Mr. Warner mentioned you doing research or has, he was under the understanding that you would look into that. Did you have a response to that? Kyle Kobe with planning Yeah, So that was the same project that Dave was talking about um, when he was given his remarks. Um, but just to very briefly reiterate, uh, it is noted on, on the plats. I think the intent was that they be provided um, obviously, they they were not. Um, I I don't know the exact specific details of you know what what happened at what time, but I can share that both the preliminary, the final, and then the subsequent minor uh, subdivision all showed uh, an, an indication that sidewalks were to be constructed. So there was no agreement not to protest, as far as I am aware, due to the expectation being that they be installed. So. Luke Sinclair Chair. Thanks, Kyle. Um, then I'll open it up to the commissioner. Does anybody have a question or comment to make? Any, who wants to launch in? Commissioner Rexroad. Hi, thanks, Commissioner Rexroad. Um, question, Paul, for you. Um, you'd mentioned that you need to bring uh, quite a bit of dirt in uh, quite a bit of fill in to uh, uh, account for um, the the flood zone that's there. As I drove by today, I noticed that that, that particular piece of ground already seemed uh, quite a bit elevated. Are you are you two questions? I guess one: Are you intending to go up further than that? It seems higher than the property that's around it. And the second question is: um, If the waiver request is denied and you put sidewalks in, would you go about building differently to accommodate sidewalks than if the waiver request was um, uh, allowed and you did not build sidewalks? Reason I'm asking that question is I'm wondering about um, how you would think about building that, any costs you would, you would incur um, to prepare for a sidewalk that might come in the future. Um, let's start with the fill. So um, there is, they they have, I think, put a little fill on that, but no, it is uh, to the south of that property is probably two or three feet below the flood elevation today. Um, that's what's one issue that we're trying to help one of the neighbors um, to the southwest that has a, she would say a drainage issue in the corner of her lot. But if you drove it, then you realize, you know, so all the houses are obviously a lot higher. It's just, there's a very low point on the south side of our property. So it's roughly two or three feet over that entire parcel will um, be raised. So 
how we've designed this is to take almost all of our water to the north. The buildings are single slope buildings, so the water goes to the north. And the advantage of no sidewalks is that all of the parking is on the north side and we just have parking blocks. And so all of the water can drain between the parking spaces to get to a ditch and then goes into a pipe and then goes around the house to the west. Um, so if, if that's not the case, then we need to bring in more dirt. And so we would actually raise the north side of the lot even more where our parking spots are so we can slope the parking spaces to the east and the west and get the water into a storm pipe. So, um, and then again, since pipes don't carry as much water as the ditches, that's why we have to raise them up. And instead of what we would call sheep flowing the water directly to the north, we've got to take it to the east and the west at several locations to get it around the parking spaces and what would be our curb and gutter. Um, so I do think, it, um, and to your point about, so our worry would be that if you didn't design the whole street, that whatever we do, even with sidewalks, I'm not sure it works for the guy to the east if he ever redevelops, and I'm not sure if it works for the house to the west if that ever gets sold or a minor sub or whatever, um, because that hasn't been designed. So, you know, whether that fits into our project, I just think it seems that this is a good example that that whole stretch of the street needs to be designed if the sidewalks are going to go in. And that's really not what we have in front of us. I hope that answers your question. Thank you. Luke <laughs> Sinclair Chair. Uh, Commissioner Willie. Uh, Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. I have a question for Dave Cronin. So what is the plan to connect both sidewalk and a potential closed storm sewer when none exists on either side? What, what's the future plan for that? Um, Dave Cronin, City Engineer. Um, it, it may be, it would be depend on the on the site. So we don't we do not have a plan right now for the site to the west or or to the east. Um, it would really depend on on that site and what if that were to redevelop or any changes were to occur. It, it would depend on on that on on that site. So we don't have a plan. Um, I you know I I. I would say that if a sidewalk is put on along this, you know, a sidewalk can be put in regardless, either way. So I think whether it's open ditch and sidewalk or enclosed storm sewer and sidewalk, east or west, that could happen either way. Luke Sinclair Chair, go ahead, Commissioner Will. Thank you, Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. A, a follow-up. So that's you know. So the question of of a discontinuous sidewalk is one thing, but where is the closest uh, closed storm sewer to that location? Because you you'd mentioned in your comment that a, a ditch and a sidewalk would not be um, applicable for that site. 
There is enclosed storm sewer to the west. It's kind of a combination. There's enclosed storm sewer and an open ditch to the west along Lincoln Street. So it's more of a swale. So I think a lot of the stormwater is, is in the enclosed system. Um, and so um, I, from the what I've seen on the site plan, they're pick, we're picking up the water in in the right of way, running it in an enclosed system to the south along the west property line, then daylighting it, and it will daylight and eventually get down to the to the corner where there's an existing um, enclosed storm sewer system. And if if I'm if I'm mistaken, uh, Paul, please uh, correct me. Um, no, Dave, you're, you're right that there's, um, and Joy may want to chime in here, but so, so we have closed system from, so we have a major swell on our north side of the, almost the entire portion of the property. And then we pick it up in a pipe, take it to the south, and then we loop around the house to the west in an open swell that, um, I mean, you can see the grading at several feet of um, moving a lot of dirt. Um, there was uh, maybe there was we're crossing two sewer lines and the house to the west is owned by somebody else. And there's a lot going on at the corner of 7th and Lincoln that the engineers thought this was the best plan and the open ditch is better and we can get into a storm sewer at the intersection. But for, they didn't want to run the pipe right down Lincoln um, because of other utilities and other things going on. So this was the best plan. They worked it out with Matt Bond, the stormwater engineer. Um, and it, on one hand, it helps generate a bunch of dirt for us, but it, it should help some of the flooding on some of the city's property around the corner. But that southwest corner is the pinch point. It's really tight and it runs into other people's property. And that's why um, that's why we have what we have, but they did, they did not want to run the pipe down Lincoln because it, it didn't work with the other utilities. So hopefully that helps. Thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Other questions? Commissioner Willie? Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. So I was not here at the last meeting of when, when this was discussed, but I did go back and watch it. And um, it seems a lot of the discussion was about what constitutes a hardship. And I did drive out to the site and it just happened to be after that five inch rain that we had um, and can confirm that there is a significant drainage issue with that property um, that I imagine would probably also impact the neighbors. Uh, so I think that the hardship here is the, the drainage and how we manage the stormwater when we don't have a complete system, as opposed to strictly the cost of a sidewalk. And I think that that does make it different from other projects we've seen. Thank you, Commissioner Willie. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Do any commissioners um, have any thoughts on Commissioner Willie's uh, comment there or anything else has been discussed or have other questions? Commissioner Ashworth? Chair Ashworth, Planning Commission. 
Uh, just to clarify, uh, once again, from uh, last week, for a question for staff, if the variance is approved, um, does this mean that the site may never have a sidewalk on it? There's, in fact, that there's no way in the future to actually put a sidewalk in there unless the city puts a sidewalk at that location. Is that correct? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. I believe uh, Randy Larkin uh, has his hand raised, Chair, so I will defer there. This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. If a variance is granted, it will run with the land and be permanent on that property for whomever owns it. It would never be able, never, we could never really require that owner to put a sidewalk on the property, whether it be through benefit district or just require the, a sidewalk. Um, if there's an agreement not to protest, then in the future, if there is a benefit district or if there's some other type of doing a deal, that a sidewalk could be put in by the owner. Otherwise, the only way a sidewalk's gonna get there is if the city pays for it and puts it in. Thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Commissioner Willie. One more question. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. One more question for uh, Dave Cronin. Uh, is there a plan for a future sidewalk on the north side of Lincoln Street along Lyons Park? Dave Cronin, City Engineer. There is no plan on the north side at this time. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, Commissioner Shanklin. Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Just to follow on to Mr. Larkin's response to Commissioner Ashworth's question, um, is, is there then potential for us to deny the variance, but to recommend to planning staff that we come back um, with um, an agreement uh, not to protest? Um, in order that we can, in the face of the variance, uh, still hold the property owner to participate in the construction of sidewalks in the future. This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. Uh, theoretically, you could make that recommendation. It would not be binding. The only thing that you can do here tonight is determine whether or not a variance should or should not be granted. But you could make that recommendation. The city would, would definitely look at it, whether or not the powers that be would follow it or not, I, I could not guarantee. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Go ahead, Commissioner Shanklin. Hey, Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Um, then um, to, to follow on to Commissioner Willie's comments, um, it, it appears to me that um, the, this hardship is in the face of the absence of uh, a comprehensive plan regarding both good pedestrian uh, transportation, as well as stormwater management. And, and so that, that just exacerbates the, the hardship to the property owner. Um, I would be curious to know, particularly knowing that there's not a sidewalk proposed to go along the park, um, whether there have been any pedestrian traffic studies along the park, it just, it, it seems to me, having driven out there, 
the probably the the best location for a sidewalk would be along uh, a, an area that has many pedestrian uses um, rather than making people walk on one side of the street in order to get to the park where they then engage in their pedestrian activities. But ju just a thought on that. Are there any studies? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. I'm not aware of any pedestrian studies that have been conducted in that area. The, the ones that do come to mind were mostly related to um, Woodlawn Elementary and the area there. Uh, but uh, Dave, please feel free to correct me if I'm misspeaking there. I'm forgetting one that just isn't popping to mind. Dave Cronin. Yeah, we, we do not have a study, a study or a plan for the park. We, um, we have safe routes to school plans, um, the plans to get sidewalks on, on safe routes where there's gaps, where there's no sidewalks. Um, Lincoln Street to the west of 7th is a safe route to school route and, um, and 7th Street north and south is, but this, this section is not. So it would provide a connection to, a, to the safe route, but it's not on the safe route to school. So, um, you know, at some point in time when we've, completed gaps on arterial streets, collector streets, um, safe routes to school, we maybe we'll be looking at other priority destinations on local streets. And um, so I, I would hope that at some point there would be uh, more, more detailed plans for this area and other areas uh, of town, to, particularly on, you know, local streets with sidewalk on either side of the street. Thank you. Luke Sinclair Chair. Commissioner Willie. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Um, a, a couple of things. One, I think that this um, agreement not to protest is a good tool, and I think it probably works well for our community that um, people recognize that they need to step up when they uh, when there's a plan for that neighborhood or that area, um, and that ensures that that'll happen. Um, I also think that we need the infill development, and we know that when we decide to prioritize infill development, that the properties that are left are left because they are hard to develop. So it, it requires some flexibility on our part to uphold that. Uh, I'm not a big fan of not having a sidewalk there ever, but I also think that with the park across the road, um, that if, if there were a need for a sidewalk, that that is a more logical place for it. I, I, I think this is something that I could stand behind not having a sidewalk here in exchange for having some additional housing. Thank you, Commissioner Willie. Luke Sinclair, Chair. I have a question, <clears throat> excuse me, for staff, uh, I think. Uh, and this will betray some of my uh, ignorance on this, but the variance is requested as part of the platting process. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but are, is there any sort of development that could occur on this property without going through a platting process that necessitates getting a sidewalk variance? Hi, Kobe with planning. Yeah, that, so the reason for this, you're right. This, so this is a variance from the subdivision that comes from the subdivision regulation. So it is associated with the minor subdivision, which in turn is um, was applied for because the current configuration of those lots are nine more individual, more residential size lots. Um, theoretically, somebody could go in there and, and 
make do with what is there without having to go through a minor subdivision process. Um, you know, as long as you work within the lines that were established there already, I haven't done the analysis to see, you know, what size of house you could get in there, how many of them or, or anything like that. But as long as you didn't have to combine the lots to make room for what you wanted to build, that's theoretically possible. Luke Sinclair chair. Thank you, Kyle. Um, I mean, the reason I asked that is because, you know, for the land development codes definition of unnecessary hardship, you know, you have, uh, and I scrolled away from it because I'm bad at using my computer, but uh, you have sort of a condition that when it's in its environment, if you require um, application of the, of the regulations, it amounts to an arbitrary and capricious um, uh, situation. And then you have basically it, it, or if you apply the regulations as there are, it's impossible to make any conforming use of the property. Um, or I think the last one is, you know, that it basically turns into a, a deprivation of private uh, property ownership rights without compensation. But, you know, it seems to me, uh, I just kind of maybe want to push back a little bit on what Commissioner Willie said uh, in terms of this being a little bit more than just a financial hardship. You know, we know that a financial hardship can't be considered uh, an unnecessary hardship for purposes of, of the variance criteria. Um, but, you know, I mean, ultimately, uh, it seems to me that it what would have to happen, you know, enclosed stormwater sewer um, and all the work that would go with that, it, it sounds like it's a ton of work, but ultimately it's possible. It's just really expensive. Um, and making, you know, enforcing this on uh, the applicant in this case, while burdensome, um, isn't impossible. I mean, I guess there's, there's other uses of the property. You know, we're not depriving the owner of... Uh, of all ability to use this property, maybe to use it in a way that um, they want to. Um, and so that's, I'm really, I'm really sort of, I'm struggling with this. And I, you know, I've struggled with these variances for a while, just cause I, I feel like we have a, a pretty narrow criteria that we have to abide by. Um, and so it's, it feels like this one pushes it really far um, and tests those limits. Uh, and um it's a tough one, but I feel like uh, on this particular one, you know, I, I don't think it us making, if we were to deny the variance, uh, that it would be arbitrary and capricious. You know, I, I feel like here, though this is not on the Safe Routes to School, it's directly adjacent to it. It abuts to Safe Routes to School route. Um, there's residential development to uh, the east. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't ter feel terribly comfortable just telling people they have to walk in the street. And I know some neighborhoods that's safe, but I wouldn't want my daughter walking in the street to school. And if it means putting in 400 feet of sidewalk where it, it ends in grass on either side for now, um, it seems to me that's better than nothing. And, it, and I, um, you know, it, it, there are other parts of town uh, that I've seen where the sidewalk goes back and forth. And so even if it's just a stretch of sidewalk on one side of the street, I, I, that's 400 feet where people can use it. And then we have the chance of, of connecting that later on down the line. Um, 
so it's a hard one for me. And I, I don't, right now I'm not totally convinced uh, just because other uses can be made at sounds without having to get um, the type of uh, variance, you know, because of this, the type of in- infrastructure that would have to be put in here that's ultimately cost prohibitive and difficult to do. Uh, but that's kind of where I'm at. I meant I rambled more than I meant to. Um, but so other commissioners, please cut me off. Thank you, Commissioner Ashworth. Uh, Sharon Ashworth, Planning Commission. Um, I'll just throw my um, two cents in here. Um, I'm inclined to deny this variance um, for basically three reasons. One, if you look at the map, you can see, as was mentioned, that there's a sidewalk mostly on the south side of the street. So if we're interested in having a sidewalk on one side of the street, to me, it makes sense to continue the sidewalk that's already there and iterate towards a complete sidewalk on that section of the street. Um, Yes, it might make sense to have a a sidewalk along the park, but we currently have a sidewalk on the south side of the street. And to continue that through on Lincoln Street, I think makes a lot of sense to at least have um, a sidewalk on the south side of the street. Um, Second reason, I don't believe that uh, a variance um, meets the criteria um, of this uh, unnecessary hardship, harmony with the intended purpose of the regulations, or the public health, safety, and welfare um, being protected. I don't believe that the variance meets those criteria. This lot is still developable. With the, it doesn't even have to be an alternative use on the ones proposed that's being proposed. It makes um, the engineering maybe a little more difficult, more maybe more expensive, um, but it's still developable. We will not um, deny an infill um, opportunity at this point. Um, and three, um, I, I'm really uh, hesitant to grant a variance that would go with the land and it would essentially may potentially be a permanent blank spot there on the south side street without a sidewalk. Um, because of what um, Sir Larkin expressed, and we can't have a benefit addition. We can't. We can't make that a criteria. Um, we can just suggest it, and I'm not comfortable with uh, having. That's not um, enough for me to maybe potentially. They might be willing to sign a benefit district down the road. Um, so to me, this is sort of a permanent absence of a sidewalk. Um, if we were to grant this variance, so my. My inclination is to deny. Luke Sinclair Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Ashworth. Commissioner Payton. Um, I can appreciate what uh, Commissioner Sinclair and Commissioner Ashworth and Commissioner Willie uh, commented on about this, but um, I, I also agree with the uh, keeping a continuous sidewalk on that south side of the street. And if you look around Lawrence, some of those places where the sidewalk switches sides of the streets multiple times, um, we've considered, especially on safe routes to school, going back and making sure there's a continuous sidewalk on one side of the street. And so I think that's something to consider when, when looking at um, whether it's logical to put you know, a sidewalk on the north side. I think it's better to just keep it continuous. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Payton. Commissioner Carpenter? 
a question for staff, um, either Jeff, Becky, or probably Randy. Um, is there a process by which to appeal our final variance decisions? about Randy? <laughs> this is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. Absent the owner relinquishing or giving it up? No. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. It seems very odd that decisions regarding land use are not appealable. Those made by the Board of Zoning Appeals are appealable by either the city or the landowner to the district court but we're vested with authority to make final decisions as to a variance for land use with no appeal process. That, that doesn't make much sense to me. This is under the uh, subdivision regulations. I believe that if you were to grant or deny the variance, I, I suppose either side could then sue, but you're, you make the final decision for the city on this particular uh, decision regarding the subdivision regulations. There would probably be an opportunity either for the city or for the uh, applicant to perhaps pursue this in another jurisdiction or another venue. Jim Carter, Planning Commissioner, you know, I would, I would think that at least there'd be the opportunity to have the city commission look at it. Um, I don't know what the process would be. Apparently there is none, but I'm surprised there's no way to do it. That's an awful lot of authority for us. And we are in the position here of making what's essentially a judicial determination on applying the facts of this, applying the, well, applying the regulations of the city to the facts in this case and trying to meet a very strict criteria of a variance. Uh, I have to share the concerns of Chair Sinclair, Vice Chair Ashworth and Commissioner Payton. I don't think it rises to that level. I mean, my preferred solution would be somehow we had an agreement not to protest that it was site planned with the provision for a sidewalk when it was time to put the sidewalk. But that doesn't appear to be an option right now. The reason currently the city code says sidewalks on both sides of the street. We aren't really doing that. But that grew as a result of the very thing that that Commissioner Payton pointed out and others that we have sections, especially out on Harvard Road, which was the topic of discussion at the time that jumped back and forth between the north and side, south side of the street. And that resulted in the provision of sidewalks on both sides of the street. I think that that topic is kind of percolating in the background about being revisited, but it's not been done yet. And, you know, so perhaps when the land development code is revisited, it could be looking at sidewalks on a neighborhood by neighborhood basis, as is now the process for traffic calming or traffic patterns and determine whether both sides of the street or one side of the street would be appropriate in a particular place, because I still stick by what I said last time in my much longer rant than what you did tonight, Chair Sinclair, <laughs> that 
one size does not fit all, but that's essentially what we're bound by right now. One size fits all, and this is what the rules are. And I can't see us carving out exceptions to the rules for particular projects on something with such clear-cut definitions of, of requiring uh, that have to be met for a variance. I don't see the undue hardship here. We have the city <clears throat> engineers here saying, here's how we can do it. It's possible and it might cost a little more and they might put off requiring it be put in. That's gonna be up to the city when it's actually built. But I would, so I'm gonna have to vote no, even though I don't want to just because that's what the regulations in my mind require right now. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Commissioner Shanklin. Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Um, in, in all this, I, I appreciate, you know, I, Commissioners Carpenter, Payton, and Ashworth, and, and uh, Chair Sinclair's comments on this, but, I, I'm still left wondering, and this is a question for Mr. Larkin. Um, it, your response to my previous question, I think, was that we could deny the variance with a request to staff to support the agreement, not to protest. And that would be also a specific request to the city engineer uh, to reconsider that proposition. Um, in, in the absence of that agreement, we're left with a denial of the variance. So that seems to me to get the position that commissioners Carpenter, Payton, Ashworth, and Sinclair are interested in pursuing, yet also open up the possibility uh, that we have a better solution for the sidewalk to be put in place um, over time uh, with an agreement not to protest. So would that work, Mr. Larkin? Uh, this is Randy Larkin. Nation would not work, or uh, or I, I, I didn't really, I, I don't know the answer, or I don't know the question. Sorry, Luke Sinclair Chair. I, I don't know if it was my computer or someone else's, but it seemed like you froze for a bit. I, I did not hear your response, but then I'm the one. This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. I, I did not catch the gist of the question. Are you asking I'd whether? Be happy to repeat it. Yes, that'd be great. I, I just um, can we deny the variance with a request for staff to consider an agreement not to protest and a request, a specific request to the city engineer uh, to uh, reconsider his position on that point? This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. Absolutely, you have you could do that. You could vote to deny it, and then make that recommendation to the city staff, make that request of city engineer, and you know, ultimately, even if you denied it, and there's no agreement to protest now, that doesn't preclude one from happening down the, down the road. Now, obviously, that doesn't give the applicant any assurance that that's going to happen but it, it perhaps could happen. And I, I understand why they would want to ask for the variance at this point in time, but it doesn't necessarily preclude it from happening in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Shanklin and Randy. Uh, Commissioner Willie. 
Karen Willey, Planning Commissioner. Uh, my understanding was that was the gist of what happened at our last meeting was that through whatever strange process the vote finally happened, that the idea was to send it back to Mr. Cronin with the idea that we really wanted to see um, an agreement not to protest so that we had some reassurance if, if we had to uh, Get, give an actual decision on this and and that and he came back with with no that he, he would not offer that so it seems to me it would be uh, very odd for us to ask that and have him change his mind unless he wants to say something about that at the moment luke sinclair chair commissioner shanklin did you have a uh, response to that i i, I do uh greg shanklin planning commissioner um i commissioner will i think what i was trying to do was flush out with greater certainty that possibility because I believe the last time we just came to a standoff and I don't you know without asking everyone personally I don't know whether commissioners Carpenter Payton Sinclair or Ashworth would support that encouragement to staff that we do come up with an agreement not to protest and so that that's why i was just trying to clarify that position luke sinclair chair um commissioner carter thank you mr chair um <clears throat> david carter planning commissioner and uh, in my opinion I, I think we've heard a pretty elaborate um explanations on both sides um i don't feel we've necessarily learned anything new um uh, this month and i'm really grateful to mr cronin for appearing and really and, and giving it giving us an elaborate um justification for his his reasoning from the previous meeting uh the, what led to the report for the previous meeting um at risk of repeating my position from last month um i i, I find it kind of frustrating this you know the one size fit all uh fits all policy i just don't think is very appropriate to an area like North Lawrence, which is has been built out for 100 years um, with no sidewalks. And it's not, I mean, there is some infill, there's some redevelopment, but it's not changing at a pace that is likely to see widespread redevelopment and opportunities for expansion of the sidewalk network. And so that was why I was um, voicing um a, a a a support for deferral and for mr conan to reconsider given what we've heard tonight i i don't feel like i can support a uh, a variance um I, I i think uh you know like um commissioners ashworth and and carpenter and payton have said i i i think that we don't meet those minimum requirements I wish there were an alternative, but I'm I'm reluctantly inclined to deny the uh, request. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Carter. Commissioner Rexrode. Yes, thank you, Commissioner Rexrode. <clears throat> um, I, I really appreciate the dialogue tonight, um, and I while I am certainly in favor of continuous sidewalks, I'm certainly in favor of supporting. Um, the ideas of, of, of pedestrian traffic, multiple transportation. Um, I, I am inclined to support the waiver uh, request tonight for two reasons. Um, one is that uh, we lack an overall design um, in this area. Um, and the second is that we have a vehicle 
that when we do have a design, uh, the applicant has said they will gladly participate. Um, if it were not for either one of those things, if there was a design in place, I would absolutely say you build a sidewalk. If the, the applicant was in any way trying to dodge or 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 not participate, um, I would I would also uh, lean in favor of denying it. But given those two things, um, I think that there is um, a hardship in place given the 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 nature of that area. I think that there's some some um, unknown um, risk. Um, of hardship down the road, should should a sidewalk be built, and then the design be landed in a way that requires some fundamental change in what the applicant has built already. So for those reasons, um, I, I uh, lean towards um, approving the waiver. Thank you, Commissioner Rexford. Luke Sinclair Chair, Commissioner Thomas, I'm sorry, you've raised your hand a couple times and I've overlooked you. Go ahead. Charlie Thomas, Commissioner. While I am new to the uh, planning commission, I come from a, a public school education background. And one of the superintendents said to me, Charlie, I can hire principals all day long who will just follow the rules. That's easy to hire. What I need are principals who are willing to look at the situation that arises and not necessarily follow the rules because it's the right thing to do. Um, I look at the city park on the north side, no sidewalks. I look at the housing on the north side that was supposed to have a sidewalk. There is no sidewalk. Uh, and it was overlooked for some, for some reason. It appears to me that the um, reasonableness of um, taking care of the rainwater that happens over there and what Paul has, has talked about, and the engineer has said, you know, there's no absolute right answer to this. I can see this. I, if I have to go to a rule, I can say, I could see this as a hardship, but I think the bigger point is there's no reason for me to be on the planning commission if I just have to look at what the rules say and say, okay, those are the rules. They don't need me. I am not needed on this commission if, if that is what my purpose is demanded to be. I need to, to be reasonable, and it seems to me reasonable is granting the variance for this. Thank you, Commissioner Thomas. Commissioner Willie? Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. I'm along the lines of uh, Commissioner Thomas at this point. Um, I feel like we've decided that one size fits all is not an appropriate answer. But if we don't allow this variance, then we will not allow any sidewalk variance, in which case there really is no public process for that. And it's all up to um, Dave Cronin alone to decide if there will be um, an agreement not to protest or not. But it, it, it takes away the only tool that uh, an applicant would have to ask and bring forth some kind of um, 
unusual circumstances. So I, I, I think if, no, if for no other reason, I would like to uphold the variance because I, I think if we deny it, then we have taken a stance that there's no sense in asking, there's no longer a public process. Luke Sinclair Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Willie. And I guess I would just make one comment with respect to Commissioner Thomas's uh, remarks. Uh, my sense is that commissioners who have come down on either side of these variances that we've had, um, it, it's ultimately been uh, differing perspectives on uh, whether or not those criteria um, are met or not. Not throwing them out and saying, I'm not going to even follow those, uh, you know, because I think this is the right thing. But I think in a case like this, it seems that there's just sort of a disagreement among the commissioners as to whether something qualifies as an unnecessary hardship. That seems to be sort of the sticking point. Not that we don't have to even consider it, but, you know, is it or is it not? So I think that we're doing a good job of trying to um, tease these issues out. And I appreciate everyone's efforts in that regard. Commissioner Shanklin? Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. I, yet again, I'm asking Mr. Uh, Larkin to weigh in on this, but it's my understanding, and I've heard two legal opinions to the contrary from, from the commission, but that uh, the determination of a hardship is, except on the downside to the developer, whatever we say it is. So if there are a majority of us that believe that this is in fact a hardship, then it is. If there's a majority of us that believe that it's not a hardship, then we're held to the test uh, under law of whether or not our actions are arbitrary or capricious. Uh, Mr. Larkin, is that not correct? Mr. Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney, yes, you're correct. The obligation of the Planning Commission here is to weigh the facts and determine whether or not under those facts they meet the criterion for a variance or they do not meet the criterion for the variance. And that's where the argument comes in. The law is what the law is. You do not have the, the right or the authority to go against what the law is. You are to find the facts and apply the law to those facts and then make your decision. And that, that, that's your responsibility and your duties as, as a planning commissioner. So, Commissioner Shanklin again. Um, so, so that we each get to have our own opinions about this and collectively uh, we vote on it and decide what that opinion for the majority is. Uh, and so I think there are several of us here that think, yeah, maybe it's a hardship. And there are several of us that don't. So at some point, we're going to have to make a motion and decide uh, whether, whether it is uh, our decision that it's a hardship or not. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Shanklin. Was that a preface to making a motion? If not, that's okay. Does anybody else have any comments they want to make? Um, uh, you know, I, I feel like we are probably, it's, I feel like the discussion's ripe. I mean, it, it's the second time in front of us. We've um, been able to talk about a lot of stuff. So if anyone wants to make a motion, I feel like it's an appropriate time. Commissioner Ashworth? Ashworth Planning Commissioner, I'll be, I'm happy to make a motion. I move that the Planning Commission deny the variance requested for minor subdivision MS 2100194 from providing sidewalks as required for section 2811 for a local street in accordance with the provisions for section 2813G of the Land Development Code 
for property located at 700 Lincoln Street. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Ashworth. So that's a, a motion to deny the variance. Is there a second for that motion? Commissioner Carpenter raised his hand for the second. Um, is there any other discussion or comments that any commissioners have before Jeff calls the roll? Commissioner Willie. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Just, I, I, I really value everybody's input on this and it, it, I think it's valuable when we don't agree too. So I, um, I, I like when we bring different perspectives and this one's gonna be kind of on a razor's edge, but that's, that's what we're here for. Thank you, Commissioner Willie. Uh, Commissioner Shanklin. Commissioner Shanklin, I, I would love to find a way to append to that um, the whatever we can do in the way of creating the possibility of a, an agreement not to protest to be negotiated um, and and encourage uh, Mr. Cronin to, to join in that effort. Is there any way we can do that? Um, and this is to ask both uh, uh, Commissioner Ashworth and, and the second. Luke Sinclair Chair, uh, Commissioner Carpenter, give your hand up. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. I, we've we've really had a basic class in jurisprudence tonight, and any of the attorneys here that have ever sat in as a pro tem judge kind of know where I'm coming from. Um, as Planning Commissioners, we play with the rules all the time, and variances are one of those few categories where we don't get to play with the rules. What we have to do is, as what uh, Randy Larkin pointed out, is take the rules as they are, because we don't have the authority to modify these particular rules and make a final decision on behalf of the city by applying the rules to the facts that we have. And we've heard the arguments on both sides for that. What my question is, is after we do this, probably I would... Uh, suggest that the planning commissioner uh, talk about sending something on to the city commission about the problems that we have here. And some of the suggestions that have been made on how to approach these issues. So we don't have this situation uh, where we can reintroduce the idea of agreements, not the protest because those were commonly used in the past. I know there are several on my street right now that are in place. And uh, I, after we do this vote, if we manage to get through a vote this time, um, discuss how we might make this apparent to the city commission that we have an untenable situation where we're being forced into making decisions following the code that we think should be modified in this area sooner rather than later. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Commissioner Ashworth. Commissioner Ashworth, Planning Commission. Just um, to be clear, since I made the motion, um, I do agree with Commissioner Carpenter's comments, um, but I'm at this point not willing to modify the motion. I think our comments and this session will serve that purpose that Commissioner Shanklin is talking about, that the concern is out there. Um, the city commission really needs to address this 
So I, I don't think the motion needs to be amended at this point to, to muddy the waters. Jim Carpenter, Queen Commissioner, I'm in no way suggesting modifying the motion. I was suggesting a second action after we vote on this one. I just wanted to make use of our, our ability to discuss the motion prior to the vote to throw that idea out. That would have to be a separate action that we take as the planning commission, not part of this motion. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, so yeah, so Commissioner Shanklin, it doesn't sound like the movement on this one wants to amend or append the motion. Um, so I guess with that, unless there are other comments, I assume then uh, we take a vote or does any other action need to happen on Commissioner Shanklin's request? Jeff. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Um, seeing no interest from the uh, per, uh, individual that made the motion, then it would just be tabled at that point. It would need no other action. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, thank you, Jeff. Then. Uh, Let's take the roll, I guess. Thank you. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Rexrod? No. Commissioner Shanklin? No. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? No. Commissioner Willie. No. Motion passes five to four. Thank you, Jeff, and thank you all. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, going back then to Commissioner Carpenter's comments, is now the appropriate time before getting into the next agenda item to discuss what, if anything, uh, we can do in terms of bringing this in front of the City Commission? Uh, Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. I think given that it was just on the, the heels of this case, I think we're in a good position to do that. The one item I would note is that Section 20-1302 of the Land Development Code does allow the Planning Commission to initiate text amendments. So if the Planning Commission would like to initiate a text amendment to that section, you can begin that process to have a look at that portion of the code. So I just want to put that on the table for consideration. Luke Sinclair, Chair, thanks for that. It, it is... I was sort of under the impression that the city commission was tabling text amendments um, related to the land development code, given that we're going to actually be overhauling it. Is that, is that something that's even worth talking about? I guess that may be for Jeff as much as it is maybe for commissioner Carpenter, since um, this is your idea. Uh, Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. There were two text amendments that were requested by individuals of the public that were not initiated by the city commission. Uh, city commission, or excuse me, publicly submitted text amendments have to go through route where they go to city commission for initiation. Planning commission is empowered to initiate a text amendment as part of its, as its body. So that is a possibility. We are looking to do a, a revision to the land development code. So I would expect that this discussion would, would definitely feed into that revision process and look at that because that we have there. So it's my expectation if, if it's not initiated or there's not an amendment already scheduled, it would be included as part of that, that look that we do to the development code. Luke Sinclair, Chair, if we were to do a text amendment on this particular section, 
uh, the variance section, is that something that would be speedier than waiting for the complete revision of the land development code? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. Um, great question. And I, off the top of my head, it, it may, uh, it, it also may not. It's hard to tell uh, as we start to do the research and go digging into the code a little bit. But um, my hunch at the moment it would be probably, it would probably be speedier, but I, I'm not sure I can guarantee that at the moment. Thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Commissioner Carpenter, I'd be curious to know your thoughts on text amendment or other ideas that you may have. Jim Carpenter, Planning Construction. Jeff, I, I'd just like to clarify that this would be a text amendment to which part of the code exactly. Um, I could see this as being simply adding an option of an agreement not to protest. Just where would that have to go? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Given that the, the variance procedure is in uh, Article A, which is the Joint Subdivision Regulations, I would envision it to be going in there because it's that article is almost in many ways self-contained. So we'd be looking at an art, uh, amendment to the variance section of Article 8, not the variance section of Article 13, which is where the BZA typically would see a variance. So Jim McCarpenter, Planning Commission, if we asked to initiate a text amendment with a recommendation to this simply be that with regards to sidewalk variances, we, uh, one of the options is a signed agreement not to protest and that all site plans be drawn uh, to accommodate the future placement of a sidewalk and any other drainage structures or whatever are required you know, that would be for staff to work out just a list of what would have to be on a site plan. Um, is that narrow enough that it could be done pretty quickly so we can try to stop this uh, variance problem that we're having right now? <laughs> and also on a side note, I guess this is a question uh, to Randy. If we deny a variance, does that preclude the current landowner from ever asking for the same variance again? This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. Um, I, I'd have to look at the code regarding Chapter 8, regarding whether it would preclude that ever from the future. It precludes the current application, and I don't know if there would be some time of period where they would have to wait or not. So I'd, I'd have to look at that. I don't know the answer off the top of my head. Maybe Jeff knows that from, from uh, subdivision regulations. Um, Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services. I'm, I'm not aware of a, a limitation like that you typically would see in the case of like a rezoning or a development plan that it have to be substantially different to resubmit for a variance. Um, but that's just off the top of my head. I'm not, I'm not aware of one. Um, I do know in the case of the Board of Zoning Appeals, you can resubmit for variances. Typically, you want to show a change and not make the, the application the same twice over, but it is possible to do that. Um, and to your to your first question, Commissioner Carpenter, um, I think we I think we could get the initiation if the initiation was based on tonight's discussion. I think we got a good idea of, of where to go and the sections to look at. So I don't I don't know if we would need to open up um, Article 13 as part of that, but we could definitely consider the very when we were, excuse me when we consider the text amendment, keep that holistic look of the code in play to make sure that we're looking at the whole structure as part of it, not just a specific sliver of one section. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. I, I guess with regard to the 
possible reapplication. I know with, as you mentioned, with zoning, you have to uh, submit an affidavit of significant changes in order to come back after a certain amount of time, and it must be done within a certain amount of certain time period. We have that example. We have an example with the Board of Zoning Appeals. So if we don't have that in the variance chapter that we have to follow, uh, would it be advisable to have something there that addresses that issue? Because circumstances do change. And if they do change enough, if the interpretation of the current one is you can never ask again, that doesn't seem fair to a landowner to be bound forever by asking under a current code when the code changes, which might permit them to ask at that time for a different reason. So I guess now we're talking about two, two, two subsections under the variances. Jeff Craig playing development services. I, I think we could take a look at that and just to kind of understand what is what is allowed and what is possible and and, and you know process out some options and, and take a look to see on both those fronts. I don't I don't think that would be difficult at all under an amendment. Thank you, Jeff. I, I think I'd like to make a motion based that we initiate a text amendment uh, with what has been discussed here about which I'm sure we have good notes out there that I can't repeat right now. Um, this is our, this is how we change rules without ignoring rules. And we have that ability. So let's make use of it. <clears throat> so I guess my motion is I'd ask that the planning commission initiate a text amendment to um, provide the provision for sidewalks that would allow for an agreement not to protest if site plans are drawn up and followed that would permit the future construction of the sidewalk and associated city infrastructure as well as looking at the code as to the ability or inability of an applicant to resubmit a variance request in the future Looks in clear chair. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. I, Jeff, was there, is there enough there for you for purposes of, of recording the motion and then we can find a second? Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services. Yeah, we have, we have enough there for the motion and, and good direction for staff to go and, and start a review process for the amendment and, and keeping in mind that we will, we will keep it broad and to make sure that we capture the, the totality of the discussion, not just specifics of the item. Looks in clear chair. Thank you, Jeff. Commissioner Shanklin, did I see your hand up? Were you looking at a second or were you, did you have a question or something? Commissioner Shanklin, just for the purpose of seconding. So I second. Looks in clear chair. Thank you, Commissioner Shanklin. Uh, before we vote, I see Randy Larkin. Your hand is up. Yes, this is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. I want to clarify a comment I made earlier. There is an appeal process to the City Commission and then from the City Commission to the uh, District Court if they so wanted. Uh, for a variance under the under Chapter Eight, I just found that section. So anyway, I just wanted to clear that, clarify that for you. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner, thank you, Randy. I knew there had to be something we can't be a final say on land decisions. So I'm glad you found that, and I would encourage uh, Mr. Werner and Ms. Ray to appeal this one uh, with the to the City Commission because that would really jumpstart the discussion as to 
the agreements, not the protest, the text memo we're suggesting right now. Luke Sinclair Chair, are there other comments or questions before we vote? Uh, I'm sorry, I do have a question before we vote. Uh, just to make sure that we're, I guess, to satisfy my own um, curiosity, it, it seems to me that right now there is some amount of uh, discretion in entering, in the city entering into an agreement not to protest with an applicant. Um, I mean, just based on the fact that the city engineer on this one didn't want to, uh, is, is what you're suggesting, Commissioner Carpenter, in any way going to remove that discretion so that any time an applicant says, I'll do an agreement not to protest, the city has to sign it or enter into it? Jim Carpenter, plenty commission. No, I would see this as more that that would be our discretion, that it would be one condition that we could place on a variance. And we'd have recommendations from city staff and from the city engineer as to what the city's position is, but it would give us that leeway that we've been dancing around here tonight, which has made it so difficult to decide. Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you so much. That helps me a lot. Any other questions before we vote? I'm not seeing any. Jeff, can you uh, call the roll on this one? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? A yeah. point of order. We, we, I don't think we have a second to my motion yet. Commissioner, Luke Sinclair Chair, Commissioner Shanklin had seconded it. I don't think I actually said that, though, maybe. So All right, thanks. <laughs> Okay, Jeff, yours. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Rexrow? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes nine to zero. Thank you all. Thank you, Jeff, Luke Sinclair Chair. Um, we have one more item tonight, uh, which is the um, the text amendment for the Lisa system. And I, I uh, propose that we do a break before that, maybe a five minute recess and everyone come back around 8.09 or 8.10. That'd be great. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. All. Thank you. Are we good, Jeff? Sure. Yeah. All right, uh, Mr. Chair, room is ready. Thank you, Luke Sinclair Chair. Our uh, final item on the agenda tonight is um, item two, which is to consider approving a text amendment, TA 2100238, to the zoning and land use regulations for the unincorporated territory of Douglas County, Kansas, to establish a land evaluation site assessment system Lisa, and standards as part of the review criteria for rezoning requests from the AG1 Zoning District. Um, and for, uh, for staff tonight, we have Mary Miller to present. Good evening, commissioners. Mary Miller, city county planner. And uh, this text amendment actually has two parts. Uh, there is the simple revision to the zoning regulations, 
And then there's also the development of the LISA system. And um, Plan 2040 recognizes the importance of agricultural land to Douglas County and recommends that the conversion of agricultural land to non-agricultural uses be minimized while accommodating various types of development in the rural portion of the county. And this goal requires the evaluation of agricultural land when rezoning requests are made that could be moved the land from agricultural production so that the better quality agricultural lands are maintained and development is directed to agricultural lands with lower productivity or lower potential. When the zoning regulations were revised in 2020, an additional rezoning criteria was added. Actually, there were two criteria that were added. One was to look at the impact on environmentally sensitive lands. And then the other one was that the uh, rezoning would be evaluated when the request was from the Ag 1 district um, to determine the um, impact on or the suitability of the property for agricultural uses based on the agricultural productivity or the potential productivity of the property. And staff has been working on developing an evaluation system that would provide an objective ranking of the agricultural productivity or potential of a property um, since we've been working on the rezoning regulations. We have reviewed other communities and found that most of them do use a land evaluation and site assessment system, which is commonly called the LISA. And this system is able to be adapted to fit varying circumstances and can be tailored to fit specific requirements. Some of the communities we looked at actually incorporated some of their golden factors into their LISA. We intend to use it only for the evaluation of the suitability of the land for agricultural uses. And then it would still be reviewed with the other review criteria for a rezoning. And we've been working with the NRS, NRCS staff, and that's the uh, Natural Resource Conservation Service. And uh, as you recall, through, we've had a few rezonings. We've always done some manual reviews of these parameters to get a feel for them and to try to understand how they would work. Uh, the NRCS has provided data on the various parameters, which they recommended. And we provided that to the county GIS department and uh, they provided some reports about the amount of certain types of soils and certain types of uh, characteristics that are found in the Ag 1 district. And I did not include that with our packet. And um, Commissioner Shanklin, in his request for information, did mention that he would like to see that information. And I apologize, that should have been in the original packet. But that was attached with the uh, memo in response to his questions. And um, I just hurriedly found some of the reports. Some of them have some uh, staff uh, information on the bottom, but um, I'll provide cleaner copies of that. I just wanted to get that data out to you to show that we looked at that when we were developing our rating system. And so uh, this data was very important in helping us to determine if uh, what, what kind of agricultural land is present in Douglas County and what rankings would be considered good or average or low as far as agricultural productivity. So um, I'll go through the actual LISA system in more detail, but I'm going to focus on the relatively simple uh, text amendment first. Um, Section 12-307-4.06 of the zoning regulations contains the evaluation criteria for rezoning requests. And um, there are now 11 criteria. And one of them is the item I on the screen, the suitability of the property for agricultural use. This shall be evaluated with each rezoning request from the, and it said the A district, which was the old uh, designation for agricultural district. And we overlooked that. We did not make the change to the Ag 1 district, which is how that converted. And so we would like to clean that typographical error up with this amendment since we're in this section. 
above the Avalon district to maintain an adequate inventory of productive or potentially productive agricultural land. And this evaluation shall be conducted. This is the language we would like to add. This evaluation shall be conducted using the land evaluation and site assessment LISA system adopted by the Board of County Commissioners. And so uh, that would be the text amendment we'd like to see. And I'll be asking you to make a recommendation on that. We would probably hold that and wouldn't move it forward until the LISA system you, you had decided to uh, or the LISA system onto the County Commission. So with the LISA system, and I'm sorry, I probably got over these before, but we have the several proposed parameters, uh, farmland classification, soil capability class, the vegetative productivity, the location, and we're only looking at in relation to the urban growth area, not to other parcels, just looking at where is it in the urban growth area. Um, constraints, there are certain things on a property that would actually be a constraint to agriculture, such as stream corridors or wetlands or stands of trees, places where you can't do agriculture. And then we look at the current use of the land. And so farmland classification, um, the reports that I included in the uh, memo, uh, the response memo today, um, we only got the data for two. We had a uh, loose data for them all, but uh, our GIS analyst gave us the percentage for two. In the Ag 1 district, the prime farmland makes up 39.3% and statewide makes up 28.7%. So nearly 70% of the Ag 1 property is either prime farmland or farmland of statewide importance. Um, and I marked the LISA ranking here. Um, prime gets 10, that's the maximum with each one of these parameters. And the statewide gets nine. And then uh, the other classifications, um, as we go through this, I'll show you some examples, they get lower scores. The soil capability class, we did not get any breakdown of the percentages. Um, Plan 2040 classifies class one and two as high quality agricultural soils and recommends they be preserved. And those get the highest score of 10. Uh, through our examples, we found not a lot of class one, but there is a significant amount of class two. Class three also gets a high score of nine. Uh, classes one, two, and three typically make up the prime farmland. And uh, class three, um, I had several reports and memos, but in the memo provided with the LISA information in your original packet, um, it kind of gave a definition of all of these different soil types. And class three is soil that may have some issues. It may take some work, but it's still considered good soil. So it got a ranking of nine. And then as the soil classes go down, um, the value assigned to them also goes down. Uh, vegetative production, we're looking at both NCCPI or National Commodity Crop Production Index and the Rangeland Production Index. We look at them both, but we only use whichever one is highest. Some property is more suited for rangeland than for crops, and so we want to take whichever one is highest. Uh, the NCCPI rating goes from zero up to one, and um, in the middle here is that data that shows how the Ag1 district is broken up. Uh, primarily, most of it is in the 0.4 to 0.5, and um, I think we have about 7, 12, maybe about 20% is above that. That gets the highest rating of 10. We're proposing 8 for the rating between 0.4 and 0.5, and 8 out of 10 is still a very high rating. It's just not the very highest. Uh, and then things that are lower than that is zero. So we're seeing a pretty sharp drop off just because so much of the property of the uh, AG1 district is 0.4 and above. 
And then we look at the rangeland. This is measured in pounds per acre per year. And um, we have the acres in the AG1 district and then also the percentage. And again, the largest is down in the, the lower productivity between 3,000 and 4,000 pounds per acre per year. And so uh, the items above that, which are about 40% district would be given a score of 10. Uh, the 3,000 to 4,000 would get a score of eight and those below that would get a score of zero. And I'll, I'll show you some examples, but we went through a lot of different examples and uh, tested different properties. We did not want to create a Lisa system that gave us a result of high for every property because we said we want to minimize the conversion of agricultural land, not actually prohibit it. So we wanted there to be some properties that came out on the low side. And we have not found many, but with these ratings, we have come up with some. Uh, this is a map that our GIS analysts had provided uh, showing the NCCPI ratings in the Ag 1 district. So the green is the highest. And you can see that's very high up in the northeast section. The yellow colors are that middle color where I said that is the highest ranking. A tan, you can see some tan areas. Those are lower. And then as you get darker and you go to red, those are the very lowest, which we have very little of that. So with the location, the reason we're looking at location is we would want to value agriculture more on land that is not likely to be annexed very quickly. So in tier two, although we may not see any rezoning requests, we put that as a zero because that is expected to annex very soon. So the uh, tier three, we divided that into two sections. And um, as I look through our materials, there's several of us that are working on these uh, parameters together. And uh, it looks like we had some disagreement. I think I had mentioned 0.5 mile, but I noticed in some of our examples, we used one mile. Those are two numbers we've been tossing back and forth. So um, we'll have to decide on which one of those. And uh, Commissioner Shanklin had asked if we could have a map showing these areas, like how much area would be in this tier, what we're calling A and, and B of tier three. And um, I tried to make a simple map today and just kind of outline those areas. Our GIS planners weren't available to provide a GIS map, but that map was not going to be useful. It, it was not a good quality map. So I will have a better map with the acreage next time if this comes back to you. And then outside UGA, it gets the highest score of 10 because, of course, that's there's no chance that would annex. So the constraints that we look at are wetland, stream corridors, stands of mature trees or trees, and native prairie voluntarily listed. And so whatever percentage of the property has these, that uh, has a minus 10 score. And uh, as use, um, if it's currently used as crop or grassland, it gets a 10 for whatever percentage is being used as crop or grassland. And if something's not being used for agricultural, it gets a zero. And this is the end result of the LISA. Um, we have protection values. The maximum score you can get is 50. So between 40 and 50, that's a very high protection value. High would be between 30 and 40. Medium would be 20 to 30. And low would be less than 20. We need to change that sign around. But that tells us just how suitable is it for agriculture and how strong should we look at protecting it. And we can use this when we advise people that call us and ask us about rezonings. If they score very high or high, we can let them know this it's likely they would not be able to get rezoning because their land is so valuable agriculturally unless there was some compelling reason to rezone. And um, that could be if there was a non-conforming use or something that they wanted to resolve, but there'd be very few of those. Medium, most of the time, I think that would still be a challenge, but we have to look at the other review criteria. And low, that would be the place we would expect it to be the easiest to rezone, but we'd have to look at the other rezoning criteria as well. 
So I'm going to stop sharing this screen and I'm going to show some examples. Um, I had some in your packet, but uh, Commissioner Willie provided us with a property and said, you know, asked if we would do an example. I wanted to do, am I sharing this? I'm sorry, I don't see my Skype. Okay, am, am I still here? Am I still sharing? I Jeff assume Craig that Klein. I am. Jeff Craig, Plain Developers, Mary, we're not seeing a screen share on our side yet. Okay, maybe I did something wrong. Let me go back to that. So I need to do share screen. Okay. Yeah, this looks much better. Sorry. So um, this is the example on a piece of property. Commissioner really gave us permission to use this property as an example. And um, I want to do a live, just go through this live and show you how we do it. But unfortunately, whenever I use the uh, web soil survey and I'm trying to get it to work, it just spends a lot of time loading. So instead I went through and did screenshots, but we have a plan to put this on the zoning and codes website. We're going to put the Excel spreadsheet and then a tutorial and the link to the web soil survey. It's not hard to use. It's not really intuitive to know where to go to get these parameters, but um, we'll explain how to do it. That way, members of the public who are interested, they can go review properties, their own properties or others, and you commissioners can go in and you can look at different properties to see if you feel like the parameters are correct. Uh, the first step is to do an area of interest. That's probably the trickiest part. If you have a nearby address, you can put that in. It'll get you to the area, and then you outline the borders. Once this is finalized, we'll be able to just import parcels. We won't have to manually find the area of interest. When that's done, then we go over to the suitabilities and limitation ratings, and um, you go under land classifications. So we're looking at farmland classifications, and then you click on view rating. It takes a moment, but then it'll give you this color-coded map, and it'll give you the um, figures below. So the color-coded map shows everything in green is prime farmland. The blue is um, statewide importance, and the red is not prime. And uh, when you look at this, sometimes you don't know which color corresponds, but they have the map unit symbols. And so that's usually how you can find out. This gives you a good visual idea. This property has quite a bit of prime farmland, and then most of the rest of it is statewide importance. As a matter of fact, 77% was prime, almost 20% was statewide, and about three was not prime. And so we put that in this section of the spreadsheet, and it came up with a score of 9.3346 out of a maximum of 10. So then we were looking at soil capability class. Um, the number two, class two soils, is the orange. Uh, the yellow is class three, and then six would be the blue. And so in our percentages and total, class two was 41%, class three is 55, and class six was three. And so we put that in, all you do is put the percentage of the site in and it'll create the score and add it up. That was nearly nine out of the score of 10. So it's scoring quite high so far. Then we look at the rate vegetation productivity. This is the National Crop Commodity Production Index. And we had basically ratings 0.7 and above. We had between 0.5 and 0.6 and between 0.4 and 0.5. With most of it being 
0.7 to 0.8, which is relatively rare to get that high. I haven't seen many. And then we have quite a bit in 0.5 to 0.6. So this came up with 9.5. And then the rangeland productivity, which is measured by pounds per acre per year, it came up with about um, 64% in the 3,000 to 4,000 range and about 36% in the 4,000 to 5,000. And that came up with a score of 8.71, which is still high, but not as high as the NCCPI. So we would use the commodity crop index to come up with this evaluation. Then we looked at constraints and we have various maps that we use for constraints. So it may be difficult when you're doing your own, you kind of have to use your own um, intuition. Basically for wetland, we use the... Um, United States Fish and Wildlife Mapper, but then this is also on the County GIS Property Viewer under external, external items. So you can find the wetland there. Sometimes it's not accurate. They use farm ponds and show them as wetlands, but it's our best information. So that's what we use for our, our evaluations. Steep slopes, that's on the planning GIS. We have a layer that shows us slopes that are more than 15% and stream corridors. And trees, uh, that comes off of the environmental baseline map that uh, planning uses. Uh, there were no stream quarters, and the uh, environmental baseline map shows the canopy. The pictures were taken it's with the NAIP system, the National Agricultural Imaging Program. So when we look at this, we would not take into account the trees that border the property, because those are the tree lines along the fence rows, and those can often be put there for erosion reasons, could be considered a part of the agricultural use. But we would consider the trees on the interior. And um, we just do a the simple measuring tool and it came up to about 1.8 acres of trees or about 5% of the site. So we put that in and that yield a negative 0.5 score. So the location, the property was 100% outside the urban growth area. So it got a 10. And then the current land use, well, 95% of the site is being used for agriculture and that 5% that's in trees is not. So we got a 9.5. And the overall score was 46.87, which would put it at very high. So in the overall uh, spreadsheet, this would be the ranking that a person would see. And when rezoning requests come before you, the entire spreadsheet would be provided with that. So you would get all this background information when you look at those um, calculations. And so um, there was, I just had some other information, but I think I went through most of it. There was one other thing I did want to bring up. If you're interested, um, Commissioner Shanklin had asked about uh, the corners, you know, why we had used those four corners in the graphics I provided. Those were just for examples to show the diversity and kind of the trend in the county. And so um, the pie charts and the information was on page one, but the, the following pages actually showed the maps that showed the makeup in each one of those four corners. It's kind of like random sampling. Um, to be able to provide that. We can't do it for the county as a whole. I, I could talk with our GIS analysts and see if you could do it as a whole, but we would not be able to get the LISA score for the, every parcel in the county and overlay that. And I think that was one thing that was asked, but that would be very time consuming. And um, zoning and code staff and I discussed it. I think we would have to have a new staff member or a consultant, but that's not really the goal of this is to evaluate every parcel. I think the goal is to find out what is the basic agricultural nature of Douglas County and where would we create the rankings in order to call something very important for agriculture or less important. 
And um, I think the Lisa system we're developing is doing a really good job. But if you'd like to look at it more, or if you have direction for us that you'd like us to change, um, you know, we could do that if you'd like us to look into other options, you know, things to change on that. But um, in the examples we've been doing, and in your packet, there were examples. We had very high. There was a property that came out low, which is relatively rare, but I think that's good. I think at Douglas County, we wouldn't get a lot of low scores. And um, when we do our rezoning reviews, this is just one of the factors you would take into consideration. So if you had a low score, it doesn't guarantee you that you'll get your rezoning. It's more likely that you have to look at the other factors. Also, if you get medium, it doesn't mean you won't be able to get a rezoning depending on the other factors. But if you get high or very high, I think it would be challenging. Or even if you're on the high side of medium, it'd be challenging. But these still require decisions. But this is just a tool to help in that decision making. And um, so uh, the two items before you today, one is the recommendation, recommendation on the text amendment. And you can make that today and you can just hold the text amendment and not move it forward. Unless you're ready to vote on the Lisa, you know, I just expected that you may have comments, but if you're not ready to move it forward, uh, we could look into it and bring it back to you at a later time. And that's my presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, there's no applicant on here. So do we have any members of the public that are on the Zoom call or has anybody joined the um, City Commission Chambers room? Peggy Pepper, planning manager. There's no one, uh, no members of the public here in the city commission room, and I'm not seeing any raised hands on Zoom. Luke Sinclair, chair. Thank you, Becky. Okay. Um, do we have uh, any commissioners that want to start that have questions? Um, I guess on either of the issues or need a clarification or want to make any comments. Commissioner Rexrode. Thank you, Commissioner Rexrode. Um, first, I want to say this is just a great, impressive body of work. Um, so very much appreciate what you're doing here. Um, a big fan of data, big fan of uh, tools like this to help us understand, you know, large situations. Um, and it, I also have an appreciation that that some of the you know the values that we use within calculations um, have a pretty big um, um, impact on outcome. And my questions, I think, come around from a little bit of that. Um, I had noticed that as you were talking about how you had assigned um, you know negative through ten plus ten values um, to certain characteristics, um, there wasn't a linear. Uh, uh, progression of those numbers of applied there. So I, for example, there was one, it was around, um, gosh, it was a rating of, of the value of, of, of the type of soil. And forgive me, I didn't catch it in the slide to name it specifically, but in the, in the bottom half, um, uh, there was a, a set of values that were the largest amount of acreage, but it still had a value of eight, even though it seemed to be on, on maybe the, below the, the, the midpoint. So I was just curious about how those values are assigned um, uh, because something like that, that, a value of eight there, particularly associated with a large acreage um, could have a pretty big impact um, on overall valuation of soil. Um, and then a follow-up question to that is um, how are all of these values monitored? Um, how, are we, how, are they, how are they monitored? How are they uh, um, reviewed um, over time to make sure that we are in fact what we would consider to be accurate. 
Mary Miller planner. Um, with these um, classifications, um, eight is actually a really high rating. Yes. You know, 10, nine, and eight are all high ratings. And so even though there was a lot of it, it's, it's almost what you consider this is our standard for the county. So it's not the very best of the best, which is what 10 and nine would be. It's good, really good. And so that's kind of where eight would correlate with, you know. Um, and so uh, if, if everyone had an eight, each one of those parameters got an eight, you would still be considered very good. Yeah, very good and important for protection. Right. So um, we played with those ratings quite a bit. A lot of that just had to be field tested. You know, we pulled up properties and they look like great farmland. And we go through the ratings. And um, if we assign too high of a point, all we ended up with was very high. And we don't want to lease that everything in the county is too good to even think about. I mean, we probably wouldn't think about rezoning it if it was even in the high medium range or even in medium. It'd be very difficult. So we were trying to get a realistic array of the quality, not exactly the quantity. And so, yes, we have a lot of that that is in that group that we gave to the eight. It's still a high rating, but it's it's just kind of trying to show how that ranks in agricultural mm-hmm. productivity. Okay. And your other question about monitoring. Um, so is your question about how would you make sure the Lisa is doing the job? Like when we bring products forth that the Lisa scores match what's the agricultural productivity or how we actually look at the Lisa scores. Yeah. So that was a poor choice of words on my part. Commissioner Rex, poor choice of words on my part. Apologies. How my, 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 my question is around how do you review? Um, uh, we're, we're making some, some good, um, I'll use the word guesses or estimations of, you know, um, approximations of where we think those values should be today. Is there any process that will be uh, under that will be in place for ongoing um, assessment to make sure that we do think those values still make sense? Are doing the job of, of representing these uh, the, these soil types properly? You've asked me, planner, planner Mary Miller. I believe as we go through them, we would be looking at the, and I, I hope I understand your question right, we'd be looking at the result of what the Lisa is. Mm-hmm. You, you can't really look at a piece of property and just say, well, I know that's good agricultural land. I know that score is too low. You know, you might be able to get a scientist and maybe people who want to argue with this might go out and get a soil scientist or someone to come in and say, no, this land is much different. But we're just relying on this information that comes from the Department of Agriculture and from the NRCS, they update it occasionally, but we'll have the version they give us most recently. It's in our GIS system. So it just goes from the Department of Agriculture into our system. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Commissioner Willie, our resident soil scientist, do you want to offer any comments? Chairman Willie, Planning Commissioner. Um, much to Gary Rexroad's point, Commissioner Rexroad, um, one of the I, one of the reasons that I asked, I sent several properties to zoning and codes, and it was uh, somewhat late in the day. So, but they did pick up one of those for our um, example that we had today. Uh, I, I, I gave them properties that I knew well, that I had farmed on um, or farmed with other people there. And so um, they had been very kind to offer me a time to kind of go in. And I feel like that would serve as a ground truth thing uh, for the system kind of, and maybe even bring some of the other farmers who have farmed that property too, to make sure that this intuitive, intuitively feels like the right tool. Um, so far, I, I do have a level of comfort with it, though I didn't expect to. I, it worries me to put a numerical value on something because we will give it so much weight. 
after we do that, it's, it's hard not to. Um, and there will come a time when you don't have a soil scientist on your planning commission uh, fairly soon. But, uh, but getting it right, I think, could be a helpful tool for the long run. But I, 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 think we're, I think they've done some amazing work here. I would like to do a little bit more ground truthing with it. Luke Sinclair Chair. Thank you so much, Commissioner Willie. Commissioner Carter. Um, thanks, David Carter, Commissioner. I am, uh, overall, I'm really impressed with this methodology. Um, as someone who has to develop uh, models along different lines, I, I think the the care that you seem to have gone to, to um, um, uh, the thoughtfulness of each stage, how you've gone about aggregating the results, and then bucket them in ways that give you still some flexibility in how you apply that, I think is really good. Um, of course, anytime you're you're compiling an aggregate score, the weight of each of your inputs can have kind of an unexpected uh, influence. And you think about like you know college rankings, for example. I mean, like what 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 are the ingredients that go into that? Um, so, to commissioner's commissioner Rex Rhodes question about like evaluation, I think about telemetry. I think about what's the what's the metadata that you capture about the determinations that are being made along the way that you can go back and review at some scheduled period in the future and say, hey, are these are these determinations kind of reaching the conclusions that we thought we were going to be able to make would be a really good thing. Um, one question that I, a couple of questions I have is, uh, from your presentation, it's my impression that, you know, Lisa isn't necessarily like a copyrighted thing. It is an approach, it's a methodology that you have some discretion over based on your local conditions. And so I'm also uh, curious about, uh, you talk about some of the process you went through to make sure that things aren't too high or too low. And I think about like sensitivity analysis, you're just trying to make sure that um, you're comfortable with the thresholds that you've reached. And I'm wondering, you know, was that something that you documented and shared as a group? I mean, what was your process for, for going through that process? Uh, what was your process through, through uh, that kind of evaluation, that self-evaluation? Uh, well, Zonia Code staff and I did a lot of uh, examples. We've worked through these for months. And a lot of times you just pick properties, you know, we go and we look for properties that we think are going to score low. And we do them, we go to properties we think are going to score high. And um, I, I don't know how many we've done, but we've done quite a bit. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to putting it on the Zoning and Codes website and maybe getting a lot more done, you know, if other people are doing them and we get the results. But, um, you know, that's, uh, we do have quite a few examples and maybe that's what we need to do. But uh, some of the examples I could put together a list, some of them had different ratings. And so all we got were high and we're like, okay, We've got to be realistic. We're supposed to allow some development. So that's why we started playing with the numbers. And um, we didn't want too many to come out low. And I still don't know. We don't exactly how we're fall because we just haven't done a lot of them yet. And that's why mm -hmm. when it comes to you, there has to be a certain level of flexibility. I mean, you can't require that it be low in order to approve a rezoning just because there may only be, you know, until we do them all, we don't know how many actual low scores we'll reach. You may look at the medium and say, well, it's on the lower side of medium. And then are the other criteria met? And, you know, is it suitable to rezone? And so uh, just because it gets a low or medium value for protection. And, you know, I think you're right. I think as we go through more and review them, we could tighten it up a little. And we feel much more confident after we've had a little bit more experience. 
and, and seeing the results. Great. Thank you, if I may, um, David Carter. Uh, Commissioner, one other thing I wanted to call attention to that I, what you mentioned, Mary, and what Commissioner Willie also mentioned, this idea of, you know, ground truthing or validation of your of your expectations, I think is a super important part of model development. And I think that's, it's great that you have already incorporated that into your process. So I, I applaud that. Luke Sinclair Chair, other comments? Commissioner Willie, did I see your hand go up? Yes, Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Um, Commissioner Rexford, I also heard you mention about the nonlinear nature of some of the, the uh, coding there. And, and that's actually one of the things that makes me comfortable with it, because um, it, it does skew towards the fact that we are an agricultural county because we have great soils. So the majority of our soils should rank pretty high because they are some of the best in Kansas, which is some of the best in the world. So even though it may be you know, average for Douglas County, it is far above average for any other um, area that you might um, uh, associate it with. So I, I liked that part of it. Most of our farming happens on class three and four soils. And the, so the break was made kind of between that. So class one and two, very good. Class three, still very good, but not cream of the crop. Um, so I, I, I liked the way that they managed that, but it's worth still the ground truthing to make sure that it's getting the result we need. Thank you, Commissioner Richard. Thank you, Commissioner uh, Willie. Um, that, that really helps me with the understanding of that nonlinear number. Um, and to, I think perhaps to uh, Commissioner Carter's point, um, when I think about a, a, um, a tool like this, um, uh, nesting rules inside technology is super important to train it. Within machine learning or AI, we've described that as training the tool. So this idea of ground truthing, of running different scenarios through it and making sure that we're, the results match what we expect them to be is going to be super important. So thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Commissioner Carpenter. Jim Carpenter, we've heard the app using this um, as applied to rezoning. Is this something that would be included in looking at conditional use permits also? It, uh, the zoning regulations don't require it to be used for conditional use permits. Often a conditional use permit uses a fraction of a property and so we don't really need to know the overall agricultural score. Um, if a conditional use permit was going to use the entirety of a property or a large portion of it, we could certainly use it. You know, it's not, those are the minimum things we look at. And we have, with CUP, we have minimum things to look at. There's nothing stopping us to look at more. So if we had a conditional use permit that came in that was going to use 20 acres, we could, and that was the entire parcel, we could certainly run this to get an idea, do we want to lose that land? You know, and uh, what is the lifespan of the CUP and will it go, is it going to impact that? So there'd be all those factors to take into account. But yes, we would certainly want to use that as a review factor. Jim Carpenter. Yeah, I, I think if we are going to cover the whole parcel with the CUP, I think this is a valuable tool to use in our overall evaluation. And I agree, you know, we probably don't need this if we're just talking about one building put on you know, behind a house to serve as a, you know, small business or something. But if we're going to cover, change the nature of an entire parcel, I think we really need to use something like this also. Luke Sinclair, Chair, if I can piggyback on that too, is that something 
Mary, you indicated that you uh, would consider it if if the CUP was going to, you know, encumber an entire parcel. Um, but if you're, would it be within our purview um, as the planning commission, unless it's, you know, listed out as one of the conditions for conditional use permits or one of the review criteria in certain circumstances? Well, uh, the, the zoning, reg Mary Miller planner, the zoning regulations list the things to look at and they, they note specifically that it's a minimum that you can look at other things. We could add a requirement to the CUPs that says for land intensive CUPs that, you know, something like that, that you would also evaluate that. You know, we could add that language to the conditional use. It's not part of this text amendment, but that could be added. Sinclair, Chair, I'd be curious to know uh, what Tanya Boyd has to say. Hi, Tanya, Hi, Tanya. Zoning Director. Thank you. Um, I just, do I need to turn my volume on? There you go. Oh, there we go. Sorry about that. <laughs> Tanya Boyd, Zoning Director. Um, there, I do think that that language, it would be really nice for it to be clear in the conditional use permit review criteria that we can utilize the LISA tool if we need to. Um, but I don't think necessarily we should stop just there. I think we should be using this tool when we're looking at development in general, which would include site plans as well. So I think if we're going to talk about conditional use permit, the addition of that, I would also like that to be included in site plan review as well. Luke Sinclair, Chair, thank you for that, Tanya. I, it seems to make sense to me. I guess the question is, is it, is it easy enough just to slip similar language in uh, to the review criteria for site plans and CUPs as we're doing or as is being proposed, assuming we are okay with it for rezonings. I mean, I know for CUPs specifically, there's a, you know, one of the criteria is suitability of subject property for the uses. It's the same criteria you'd have in a rezoning. And I just don't know though, um, if it would have to be a little more tailored, um, if we're going to like just consider it on uses that are going to take up an entire parcel versus uh, a fraction of it. Um, something, I guess, to consider. Uh, Commissioner Shanklin, I saw your hand go up. Uh, Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Um, I, I have a, a, a short list of about six things that I'd like to cover. But first, I wanted to thank Mary and uh, whomever among the staff helped her for jumping through those hoops I put in front of me yesterday. I really appreciate the work. Um, and in general, as, as others have remarked, um, this, this looks like it has the makings of a really good product. I, um, I, I begin, though, with the thesis that this is a tool that's to help us understand what we need to do to preserve an inventory of agricultural land. Um, so I, first off, to the point of ground truthing, um, the thesis is not to ground truth against individual projects, but rather against the whole. And I'm not sure we fully understand what the inventory is. And the way I asked my question, unfortunately, it didn't get to the point of um, what agricultural land is there that's not AG1. And I, I, I don't think it's acceptable to respond that AG1 is what we're dealing with because of the zoning code, because I think our comprehensive plan tells us that we want to deal with all agricultural land. So I'm thinking mostly about those properties that are 19, 18, 17 acres. Um, they could range down to whatever size of parcel can be made productive. 
And so do we have a sense of what the totality of the land is that we're dealing with? Uh, that's my first question. Uh, Mary Miller, planner. I, I think I understand your question, but I could be wrong. And I know zoning and codes provided some statistics. Um, some were the number of parcels, but then they also had some data on the area that's included in different kinds of parcels. And um, I know about 70% of the Ag 1 district, which I know you're not asking about Ag 1, but they could probably come up with statistics for Ag 2 as well. And I, I may be wrong. No, it's 70% of the rural area, I believe, not Ag 1. Uh, consists of parcels of 40 acres or more. And then parcels of 20 acres or more uh, makes up less. So 70% of the rural area is large parcels, 40 acres or more. And then it goes less for 20 acres. And then, you know, the smaller parcels, while there's more of them, they make up a smaller percentage. So we do have that data. And the intention of that is so that they can monitor how, how often the 40-acre parcels are divided down to 20 acres through our exemption. We have like a 20-acre exemption. And how much is that being used? Are we losing large farms because of that? You know, that may be a sign that we need to change that. So that's one way to monitor the size of parcels. Okay, you know, where I'm going with this is, if, if those smaller parcels don't matter, then yeah, it's right, not, not to worry about applying the LISA standard uh, to, to conversions of their use to non-agricultural. But I think that's, I, I just wanted to make sure that, that the county fully understands, um, you know, in limiting ourselves to the application of this tool to just conversions of AG1 property, whether or not we're missing something. That, that's where I'm going with this. A planner, Mary Miller, I think I understand now. Thank you, Brock. Um, adding that language to the conditional use permit and the site plans, I don't think we would have it only in the Ag 1 district, perhaps. I mean, in Ag 2, you're transitional agriculture, so that'd be a good place to have it. We wouldn't put it in our other zoning districts, general business and, and the other districts. But you're right, no, I, would, it makes sense to apply it in Ag 2, at least to look at it. So I would then encourage, um, if there is... I should back off. Um, Ms. Voigt, it, it looks yeah, like you so want to. I do, uh, Tanya Voigt, Zoning Director. Um, I'm going to share a screen just really quick because I think this will hopefully answer your questions. Um, so we created a flow chart kind of based on where we are with acreage in the county. So when you look at total acreage and we, we compared it, so we compared total acreage and total parcels. So if you're looking at the AG2 district, which would be everything under 20 acres, we have 41,889 acres. Um, in the AG1 district, we've got 200,000 acres. Um, and then that then breaks down to parcels. So we've got a lot of AG2 parcels. We have over 6,000 AG2 parcels, um, but it doesn't make up, you know, a big proponent of the acreage. And then we've got, you know, almost 3,000 AG1 parcels. So I do think that is relevant information. It's very important information. And that's why I'd like to see on site plans and rezones, maybe not like Mary said, not commercially zoned property or industrial, industrial zoned property, but like when a uh, CUP comes forward or a site plan comes forward on an AG2 zoned property, having the ability to look at the agricultural inventory is still very relevant and very important to the county, I would say. Thank you. Um, if, if I could continue, Luke. Um, the, so with that in mind, um, understanding the total inventory is one thing. Um, 
the question really though is what do we need to conserve are we over conserving or under conserving and do we have a method of determining what we really need because uh if it were the case that um we're concerned that we shouldn't be allowing development on any ag land then we start to think differently about those medium rankings i don't think it changes how we feel about the low ones but but certainly if we had a better understanding of of the need um, it would enable us to respond better when specific cases come before us that produce a medium ranking um, but to, to to move on um, i i think um just with my list here um using a percentage factor is really i don't know it, it's troubling to me because as i mentioned my question um in the email that i sent mary um the it has a, a way of diluting the ranking without a logical underpinning um we're we're talking about ag land that we want to preserve not land that is by virtue of environmental constraints or uh, physical constraints or size constraints um not relevant to the question is the ag land something we want to conserve so i would just ask that you eliminate the percentage factor um, if what that means is that we need to create tools that allow potential developers to say, well, I've got some land that is, is clearly not useful for agriculture and I'd like to have that rezoned, um, but they lack the, the ability to, to subdivide for one reason or another, find a way that we can conserve the land for agricultural purposes that is valuable for that and allow development on land that is valuable for other rural uses. So I, I just think there needs to be more creative thinking on that point. Um, I, I don't think current use should be a factor in the Lisa tool at all because it's a golden factor. Uh, so we're just kind of sort of double counting it. Um, and I, I don't think that we really want to do that. Um, and, and again, I, I think that natural constraints should include size. Um, that's where it becomes important as a part. Luke Sinclair Chair, I think. Is it just me or is Commissioner Shanklin frozen? I don't know if you can hear us, Commissioner Shanklin, but your video feed has frozen. Um, in, Commissioner Ashworth, go ahead. Just in the meantime, Sharon Ashworth Planning Commission, just in the meantime, while uh, Commissioner Shanklin is frozen, his point about get I, I didn't quite follow the point about the percentages he was making. Can anybody in planning staff? My um, apologies. Um, I, I was dropped there. I, I don't know if anybody heard anything that I said because probably my connection is bad. I think Luke Sinclair, I think we heard quite a bit. Uh, I think you maybe you just pick up 
your your uh, last thought. Okay, or or maybe my my broadband's telling me I talk too much. Uh, but I just have two. I just have two points. Um, the I I was saying that I I don't think tier three should have um, you know anything but a ten ranking. Uh, the the fact that it's you know not intended to be developed, um, then we ought to preserve it as ag land until it is intended to be developed. Um, and I, I guess, you know, I have questions around what it means to be a medium ranking. And are we going to be able to think objectively about that or not? Um, anything that has a label of medium um, really ought to be able to take into account what our need is for ag land preservation against the whole. Um, and uh, to just label it as medium and, and go on the way we have been with uh, the case by case, I, I don't think is going to be a helpful standard there. So thank you very much. Thank you, Commissioner Shanklin, Luke Sinclair Chair. Commissioner Ashworth, did you want to ask your question again now that Commissioner Shanklin is back on? Uh, sure. Uh, Sharon Ashworth, Planning Commission. It's just that I didn't quite follow point two or point three about the percentages, dropping the percentages. And I was asking staff to help explain that a bit more about the percentages, if they were able to follow your question as I was not. I can, I can answer what I believe that he means and how I look at it. And he can let me know if I'm wrong, but the Mary Miller planner, um, in the memo, he mentioned if you had an 80-acre parcel and someone wanted to rezone it and 30% of it was great, you know, a really good farmland, but then when we did the whole 80 acres, it received a low score. And um, and that's a possibility. However, when you rezone, if someone came in with the 80 acres to rezone and you'd be rezoning to Ag 2, which would mean you'd want to divide it into certificates of survey, and then you'd be creating eight parcels so uh, there's two things. One is, I don't know that we would approve it even without using the LISA. That's a lot of rural land. I mean, before that would have gone through administratively through certificates of survey. And we added zoning so we could look at the compatibility with the character of the area, keeping the rural character, the impact on township infrastructure. You're getting too many houses taking access on one road. So I don't, I think it would have trouble being approved even with out using the lease at all. But I think if, and most people would do the 20 acre exemptions that we have, and then they would come in and ask for rezoning of 20 acres, just knowing that we're gonna be shell-shocked if you come in and say, we wanna rezone 80 acres. That's gonna be like, you're doing a whole subdivision. So I, and but if they did come in with 80 acres, we have the ability to look at the lease of value on two halves of it because it's so large. And we could say, well, we could recommend rezoning of this Eastern portion, which comes up really low, but the Western portion, that's prime farmland. And then you'd still have to look at the other factors. If it's out in the southwestern corner and there's no other homes around and you know it doesn't seem appropriate, even if it scores relatively low, we may not be able to recommend approval. But And that's where I think I can understand where you're coming from. We don't expect to get a lot of 80-acre rezoning requests because I think then we would be, they'd have a lot of other challenges, but we can divide the LISA up. You know, we can give you an overall score and then we can give you scores for each portion. 
Luke Sinclair chair. Well, I mean, I guess, did you want, Commissioner Shanklin, you can go, and then Tanya, if you had something to add. Okay, uh, Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. I, I just wanted to respond to that. Uh, first of all, I, I chose a 41-acre parcel because I think we've had one of those recently. And my, my point was to demonstrate that um, depending on the combination of, um, it, and, and obviously proportion, uh, of good ag land versus land that isn't so good, um, that that the non-ag land can be dilutive to the concern of protecting the 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 ag land that we want to preserve, and it doesn't have a, a rational basis. I mean, it just happens to be what the meets and bounds description is of that particular parcel and not the, the underlying substance that we're concerned with, which is the agricultural use. So I, I think it is better to find a tool that, that segregates the ag land, evaluates it as ag land, and then to the extent that we need to, to find creative means to, to convert the other land to a good rural use that's not ag, then, then we do that. Um, I understand the practical application of the, the procedures, um, but I, it, to me, if we had a 19-acre parcel and, you know, we, we were going to decide to apply the lease standard to that, um, if, if 10 acres were non-ag and 9 acres were, uh, that, that would result in, you know, a medium ranking for those nine acres that were prime farmland. And I that just doesn't seem to be logical to me. Tanya Voigt, zoning director. So if someone were to apply for a rezone of 20 or 19 acres and splitting a 10 and a nine, if we were to have the ability to run the Lisa tool, we would run those separately. So that 10 acre lot that is prime farmland and that would um, ultimately, you know, be full of farming, that would actually rate high. Um, if we were uh, running the Lisa tool, we would run those individually based on the separate partial ownership or the proposed separate partial ownership. The next thing I had a comment about was the size. So we really struggled with this because um, if you are going to incorporate size, we talked, I mean, obviously the goal is to preserve and conserve large acres if we can, large contiguous parcels of land. Um, and so that would automatically get a heavier weight. So if there were a 160 acre parcel, it would be, you know, say weighted a 10 or an 80 acre parcel, it'd be weighted a 10. Our concern is because you can do administrative agricultural subdivision surveys that obviously people will understand that process they will figure that out and they will go ahead administratively reduce that parcel down to 20 acre increments and then ask for what they're asking for. So then we're unnecessarily subdividing land and encouraging landowners to be subdivided um, as an unintended consequence. And so that's why we did not include size in that. So just FYI. Luke Sinclair Chair, Commissioner Carter. Thanks, David Carter. Uh, Commissioner, I just wanted to address uh, Commissioner Shanklin's um, critique of uh, the composition of the different soil types uh, or the different soil capacities. Um, and one reason why I, th 
I'm not particularly concerned about the percentage is that because a report would show show the work, we would see what we would see what what individual percentages were present on the site, and and that intro, that would introduce both professional staff and to commissioners uh, the ability to use discretion to make to make suggestions or or evaluations on a case by case basis. So I think the percentage is a an approach to get at the score based on the parcel size. But the report itself, the fullness of the report, gives a richness of data that that allows um, you know uh, policymakers to um, to extract more you know to, to to extract more value from the information. So that particular issue doesn't concern me particularly. Luke Sinclair, Chair, Commissioner Willie. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. I have. A couple of points, but I'll just stick with one for now. Um, Commissioner Shanklin mentioned about not being comfortable with the current land use as something that comes in as a factor. And, and I actually would, I think we should explore it some more. I'm, I'm in favor of keeping it for the most part, because if the idea is to preserve farmland, then um, the fact that it is being farmed and has you know, some commitment to being farmed uh, seems to help that. But I think we have to be careful about what falls into what is farmland and what isn't. Um, is so in it, or what is being farmed? What does that mean? Um, so the property that we looked at in our example, um, I own, and uh, ten acres of that is being put back to uh, native prairie. So does that mean I'm farming it, or does that mean I'm not farming it? I I may graze that at some point in the future, but I may not. So just making sure that that land like that or um, land that is, um, you know, small prairie remnants that may not be actively used for any farming purposes, but may or may not be listed and come through that those kind of, you know, what we could say fallow uh, grazing land or fallow uh, grassland that that would also count as farmed. So then what would be not farmed would be uh, quarries, it would be um, land that has been past old pasture land that's been let go to cedar trees for so long that nothing else can happen there. I'm all for putting houses on that. Uh, that's, that's about the only land we can say isn't going to be used for anything if we don't intervene. Uh, so it's just exploring what it means farmland versus not farmland, but I would be in favor of keeping that. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Commissioner Shanklin. I, I just want to respond to Commissioner, uh, Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Just want to respond to Commissioner Willie. Um, I wasn't saying that we shouldn't consider it. I said that it was a golden factor, so it's considered separately. Um, my concern is that it doesn't deserve a numerical ranking, um, but rather is, is separately considered as a golden factor. Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you. Other comments? Commissioner Willie. So I'll kind of leave that one hanging. We'll talk about that later if we want to. Um, I'll move on to another point. So uh, Javel Taylor, who is uh, one of the zoning specialists, did run another property for me that I got just at the last minute. So it's not in your packet. And it's a property that I uh, used to rent and graze. It's 160 acres of uh, native rangeland. So it's never been broken. Um, 
it's never it's not been treated necessarily as prairie, but it has a lot of great species in it. So I wanted to see how that would rank, and it did rank as medium. And the reason for it would be um, two factors, and I'm looking at the report in front of me. Um, one is that um, some of the soils did not rank; they ranked as class six, and that would have been because they're shallow. And a lot of our shallow soils are why we have um, native plants still because they weren't productive to be tilled when that was the main form of agriculture. So that's just something we'll have to watch for, that something that might rank low might actually have a, a community value that we would want to know about. Um, and the other factor, which would be worth looking into, is that it ranked fairly low for range production. For um, And so I don't know, I, that's probably also because the soils are fairly thin, but that could be a bias in the data towards brome grass, brome hay, uh, European uh, in cool season grasses. Uh, so it's worth looking into that data to see if it is biased against native plants, which have no problem growing in those soils and making you know very dense uh, stands and, and lots of range productivity. So that's what that's where the ground truthing comes in, and that's why I would be very glad to sit with. Um, the staff and any other planning commissioners who can handle that amount of nerd, nerdness um, and go and do some of this ground truthing on a variety of properties that, that I know or we know and see what seems intuitive and make sure that our rankings are, are proper. I think, I think it's a pretty good tool, but we do have some things to figure out. Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you, Commissioner Willie. Commissioner Rexrod. Yes, Commissioner Rexford, I would very much welcome a chance to nerd out with you on um, running that tool. I'd very much appreciate the chance to uh, see that in action. Luke Sinclair, Commissioner Carter. Uh, David Carter, Commissioner. I'll, I'll just add my voice to that. Um, and at the same time, uh, um, I would just like to get back to the question, I guess, to um, Mary and Tanya in terms of the application of this approach. I mean, what we're being asked to do is just to give a binary judgment, approve, you know, or, or recommend or not recommend. Um, but as far as the plan for implementation, I'd be really interested in knowing whether there is an expectation to revisit this on a regular basis and incorporate, you know, the past experience and kind of to Commissioner Shanklin's point about, you know, whether we're achieving what we intended to achieve um, to evaluate, you know, how we're doing. Mary Miller Planner. I don't think we had thought of that, but I think that's a great idea. You know, when we adopt the LISA, it could have a two-year reevaluation. You know, we don't do a lot of rezonings in the county, so a one-year, we might only have like three. So uh, I maybe a two-year evaluation where we go through and we look at what zonings came through, and we'll all have seen them. You know, we'll all should be very familiar with them. And so just keep an eye on them, but every two years or every so often, recalibrate is probably a good idea you know evaluate and recalibrate if we need to if we think that our scores are coming down too low or too high and um you know and i think we need to define what medium means and, and that'd be a good thing to include in our lisa because to me medium is a pretty good score if you have medium farmland if we're minimizing the conversion of farmland only the lowest of the minimum i think would be something we'd say well that's a good candidate and, and I don't, we, we thought about having another category like low, medium, but then that almost invites people to 
it encourages them. Yeah, this is right for it. So I think we just need to use in the medium. There's going to have to be some decisions made. But if you're if you're not on the lower side of medium, and even if you are, it's still a good rating. But yeah, I, I do think reevaluation and then recalibrating as we need to, and maybe bring that back to the commission with a report. Thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair, Commissioner Rexrod. Yes, Commissioner Rexrod, thanks. Um, one quick question. Um, this tool is designed primarily about protection of ground, but as we uh, talked about in the very beginning of the conversation, the, the other side of that is to help identify um, um, areas that might be um, more suitable for development. Um, given that, I wonder if it would make sense to include someone from our economic development um, community chamber or someone um, to just give inputs um, as this is built out. Planning, Mary Miller. I think having their input in the rezoning overall is a great idea, but I think the LISA tool is intended only to look at agriculture. That's all we want to look at is, is it suitable for agriculture? And on the other side, yeah, if somebody wants to do a, a rezoning to commercial, I think getting the economic experts advice on that, it would be a really useful part of the rezoning review, but not necessarily of the LISA. Since we've got that, we only want to focus on agricultural productivity or potential. Luke Sinclair, Chair, other questions or comments? Commissioner Willie. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Um, I have four things pretty quickly that I think um, help us move forward with this. Um, one is if the uh, uh, commission would kind of designate some people to do some, some ground truthing, just working through with the staff and um, just spending some time with the tool and then come back with a recommendation for either leaving it exactly as it is or any minor tweaks with it. Um, and also I, I very much think that it should be, they, that we should, when we do adopt it, um, have it be a, um, something that can be reevaluated in two years. I think that that is a very healthy thing for us to do. Um, I would say that we should always get not just the number in our packet, but the full report. So where those numbers came from. So then um, that is something that staff can walk us through and something that we can clue into for what other factors maybe should get our attention. And just to recognize that it's a numeric tool, but it's only one tool of many that we uh, employ and it, we shouldn't give it you know, additional weight than our common sense when, that, when it comes to it. Thank you, Commissioner Willie. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Other questions, comments? Commissioner Carpenter. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. I'm just trying to make sense in my own head about where we're going. We've got two issues here. Um, it might be helpful if we could come up with a list of tweaks to the text amendment that we're considering. And I think the second issue is, however we want to call it stress testing or whatever, the actual LISA calculations um, and specific concerns on that. It, to me, it'd be helpful if we could just approach those one at a time and just try to get a list 
do we want tweaks to the text amendment? And if so, what, what are they? And then as far as Lisa, the specific concerns that have been raised so far and who, who we would like to work with staff a little bit just to run some examples because I'd be happy to do that. Karen and I did meet with Tanya and Mary by Zoom and talked about this a little bit and they alluded to that. And uh, that was helpful in trying to get in our heads at least just where we were going. And we asked for some examples, which is how we had examples tonight. So I think there's value in maybe having some of us do some of those informal processing with uh, with the planning staff. Just so some of us, at least, when we come back next time to discuss it, can say, "Here's what we saw. Here's what we experienced with it," because I think that would help all of us. So, however you want to go, but <clears throat> let's try to, if we could, just divide it into the two separate issues and what we're going to do on those. <laughs> that would help me because we're going back and forth a lot here right now. Thanks, Sinclair Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. And you sort of read my mind. I think based on what I've heard, it seems like the text amendment uh, is pretty um, pretty clear. I, the only things I heard were uh, adding Lisa as a um, consideration to CUPs and site plans. Um, and if there's anything else uh, that I can't remember or missing, we should speak up, but that seemed to be maybe the, the amendments or the changes to the current proposed text amendment that we would have. Was there other, were there others? Commissioner Carpenter. Jim Carpenter, planning commissioner. Uh, Chair Sinclair, I'll just add to those two, the site plans and the conditional use permits. Um, anything else that Tanya and Mary see in their experience where this could have some value in us making a better decision? Not just limited to those two, but to mm -hmm. have them come back with, you know, other suggestions on where this would be helpful to us. Luke Sinclair Chair, I think... That's a great point, Commissioner Carpenter. Do, does anybody have any other thoughts on that? I mean, I, well, does anybody else have thoughts on that? Or does that pretty well encapsulate what we would be looking for for the text amendment itself? Um, I'm not seeing any hands going up. Uh, so I, I mean, a question would be, do we want, should we vote on that now? Um, or I, we could come back and have two votes at the end and just focus as for the uh, issues that we're looking for staff to look into on the Lisa system, in addition to what sounds like almost like creating some sort of a ad hoc committee um, to run the ground truth thing. So, I, I mean, I guess, why don't we just, uh, Commissioner Carter, go ahead. Thanks. Uh, David Carter, Commissioner, I guess one question I have, and maybe this goes back to Commissioner Carpenter and his intention, but um, 
whether the first motion would be contingent on the second. I mean, I think in my opinion, it probably makes sense to do them both at once because to go ahead and vote on the text amendment to approve Lisa before we've defined what actions are gonna be taken uh, doesn't, I think would make sense to, to, to consider both first and then vote on both. Jim Carpenter, in my mind, uh, Commissioner Carter would be simply deferring everything until we can do both of these things at the same time. As that's where my head was with it, because unless you know we want to see the new text amendment before we recommend make a recommendation to the county commission, and we also want to run Lisa through its paces to see if we're satisfied with the results we get. So I think we should probably do both and then bring it all back and review where we are and have a vote at that time. And tonight, I think the best we can do, we've done it pretty much. And unless there's more to add, and we just um, defer it until it's ready to come back. Luke Sinclair, Chair, that's fantastic. I, I agree. Um, I guess the question for staff is, what you've heard from the commissioners so far uh, enough for you to run with um, to bring back, or do you need sort of a, 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 a recap, I guess, from uh, some of the ones that have offered concrete suggestions and requests for changes? Mary Miller Planner, I feel like I have a good idea, but uh, it might not hurt to get a recap just in case I miss something. I, I have some notes, but it, it, um, you know, I, I see that defining farm use and non-farm use better, and that might just be in the wording to make it clear what we're looking at. So, and uh, to include information about recalibrating the system or evaluating it every two years. I think I think I have a lot of information, but if you wanted to recap it, that would be helpful. Luke Sinclair, Chair, I guess maybe to save Mary from having to watch this again, uh, do, does anyone want to volunteer just to quickly uh, <laughs> uh, sum very shortly? I guess what the what the main things they're they're looking for are, Commissioner Carter. I'm David Carter, uh, Commissioner. I I can't sum up all of them, but one thing I can add is a request. Uh, to staff to include not just the final number, but the but the interim calculations, so that we can see the full richness of what went into it. She included everything. Tanya Voigt, zoning Chair. director. Yeah. Sorry, um, I do think that if we do have an ad hoc um, kind of committee that we can kind of um, collectively run through all of these issues so everyone in that committee feels comfortable. Um, and then I think then some of that stuff will be highlighted, just running through them with, with um, the ad hoc committee. I can, Mary can comment on that if she thinks that's, I think that would be super helpful for us. Luke Sinclair Chair, um, I guess question for, uh, probably for Jeff. Um, do we need to vote on, 
creating an ad hoc committee, figure out who would want to serve on such a thing to sort of work on um, these thoughts and changes and revisions and uh, process of going through the testing, you know, out on, out on the ground. Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. According to your bylaws, uh, Article 3, Section 5, the, the ad hoc committees can be appointed by the chair. Um, and, you know, you do have some limitations there. You know, add no more than four planning commissioners could be appointed to the commission. Uh, so there is some limitations on that. I think the, or excuse me, the bylaws also require you to include a purpose, the members, and establish a presiding officer for the ad hoc committee to, to be formed. But then the, the ad hoc committee would need to report back to the body as a whole so that all of the planning commissioners would have the same information for consideration. So that would be maybe a little bit of, of uh, logistics to work out in there, but an ad hoc committee is possible and there is that, that standing. Um, I don't know if you necessarily need to vote because it doesn't say because it, it says it can be appointed by the chair. Uh, but in practice, it may, be, it may be worthwhile to have a vote just to make sure the commissioners are all comfortable with that. And then also just kind of take, um, so say, volunteers who might want to serve on that committee. So we have an idea is if there is four and then if there is more than four, how do we apportion that to meet the bylaws requirements? Luke Sinclair, sure. Thank you. Um, I, I mean, purpose. Uh, the purpose of this committee, I think, would be pretty brief. It would just be to work with staff um, to uh, uh, fine tune or make any um, suggested revisions and then to report back what those may be. Uh, does that sound appropriate? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services, that does sound appropriate for the bylaws. I, I would defer to the commissioners to make sure that that is uh, their intend for that purpose. Luke Sinclair, Chair, what, what do you all think? Commissioner Rexrode? Yeah, Commissioner Rexrode, uh, would this um, ad hoc committee, would this also be the group that uh, did the ground truthing work within the tool? Is that part of the scope? Luke Sinclair, Chair, that was what I was envisioning, yeah. That makes sense, yes. Um, Luke Sinclair, Chair, are there, I mean, Commissioner Rexrode, you indicated uh, an interest in, in being a part of something like that, I think. And Commissioner Rexrode, yes, I'd, I'd be glad to serve. Uh, and Luke Sinclair, Chair, I can't remember if I'm speaking out of turn. Uh, Commissioner Willie, did you, <laughs> were you also one of those people? Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner, yes, I would serve. Luke Sinclair, Chair, thank you. Anybody else? Commissioner Shanklin, your hand is up. I would like to participate as well. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Shanklin. Commissioner Ashworth, you too? Yes, especially the ground truthing part. I would love to go ground, ground truthing for this. Luke Sinclair, Chair, thank you. Does anybody not want to be on the ad hoc committee? Uh, uh, so now, I mean, now we have four. And Jeff, you said no more than four. That's what the bylaw. Correct. Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services. No ad hoc committee shall have more than four planning commissioners appointed to it, and would require a presiding officer also be appointed. 
Luke Sinclair Chair, would any of the four of you wish to be the presiding officer of this fine ad hoc committee? This is Commissioner Rexford. I'd like to nominate Commissioner Willie for that job. Darn, I thought you were Luke volunteering. <laughs> <laughs> Not so lucky. Luke Sinclair Chair, uh, I, think that's, I think that's a fine nomination. Um, I mean, so we have now then uh, the sort of the outlines of an ad hoc committee consisting of presiding officer uh, Willie. We have Commissioner Ashworth also, um, commission, uh, Commissioner Rexroad and Commissioner Shanklin. Um, you know, I move that we uh, create this ad hoc committee and, and appoint those four planning commissioners to it and have Commissioner Willie be the presiding member. Uh, is there a second on that motion? Commissioner Carter seconded that by hand motion. Luke Sinclair Chair. Uh, Jeff, is there anything else in your mind that we need to do before taking a vote on that? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. No, I believe we've got good scope for the ad hoc and uh, details to provide back. And uh, this would be just for everybody's uh, knowledge that this would be uh, one of those committee reports that we would hear back at the beginning of the meeting. So we would have that kind of preparation there. Um, so we can definitely get that uh, pulled together and, and work to get that established. But I think we've got enough to move forward. Sure, thank you. And I'm not sure I have, up. I have it on this before voting to defer um, on actual two items that are in front of us or is this an okay order jeff crick planning and development services um, commissioner sinclair i think we lost your uh, video and audio there for a second so i'm not sure i caught the whole question uh, the, sorry i got a little notice that my internet was unstable too um the question was it, it, I, it, the it sounds like the way we're going for uh, the actual text amendment and the Lisa system and standards is deferral. Um, it, have I messed this up by having a motion to create an ad hoc committee before we've even voted to defer? Uh, Jeff, can Craig, we just vote on the motion and then do that? Jeff Craig playing in development services. It, it, you're, the sequencing is a little, um, one before the other, but given the discussion point, I think we're okay at the moment. So I think a motion to form the ad hoc and then a motion, if the motion is to, de to defer the consideration, I think we're, we're okay. Luke Sinclair Chair. Okay, good. Well, hopefully it works out that way. Um, then can you call the roll on the motion to form the ad hoc committee? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Rexrow? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes nine to zero. Luke Sinclair Chair, very well. Uh, with respect to the text amendment and the Lisa standards, is there anyone that would like to make a motion on that, on those? Commissioner Rexford? 
Yes, Commissioner Rexroad, uh, I'm, I move that we defer consideration of approving text amendment TA-21-00238 to the zoning and land use regulations for the unincorporated territory of Douglas County, Kansas, to establish a land evaluation site assessment system and standards as a part of the review criteria for rezoning requests from AG1 zoning district. Um, stop there. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Rexford. We have a motion to defer the item. Do we have a second, Commissioner Carpenter? Second by hand motion. Uh, any other comments before we vote on that? Looks like none. Jeff, could you call the roll? Certainly. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes nine to zero. Luke Sinclair, Chair, thank you very much. And thank you all for abiding by my procedural problems. Um, so that's the end of the regular agenda items. Um, I We already took care of the one miscellaneous new item we had, but I believe that Jeff has another one just to put in front of us too. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Uh, since we were just speaking of an ad hoc committee, um, it might be of interest since there are some commissioners that have interest in the, um, I'm gonna mess the name up, but the commercial utility solar text amendment. I think I may have skipped a couple words there. I uh, have an interest in studying that project. It may be of interest to form an ad hoc committee to allow planning commissioners to study and continue to work on that as part of the process. So I uh, wanted to bring that item for discussion and consideration before the board this evening. Thank you, Jeff. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Commissioner Willie, you have something to say? As, as full confession, Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner, uh, Commissioner Carpenter and I kind of initiated this uh, to have a conversation with staff and then it became, well, shouldn't it be invited to others and how, we didn't know how to go about that. So this was a very good discussion and thank you, Jeff, for bringing it forward. Thank you, Commissioner Willie. Luke Sinclair, Chair. From your perspective uh, and or Commissioner Carpenter's, do you, do you both or either of you think that it's a, a worthwhile thing to invite, uh, assuming you want to participate or have an ad hoc committee, have other commissioners serve? And what, what do you envision that being like? Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. Since we kind of <clears throat> want to try to fast track this, based on our discussions last Monday night. Um, the idea has been floated of having a presentation to go through the proposed changes line by line, such as we did with Plan 2040. Um, and I have to say, I reached out to an old college friend at, today and sent our packet from Monday, which has now been sent to multiple uh, environmental and solar experts around the country and i'm already getting responses so um <laughs> we're we're going to have some more information coming that can help answer some of the questions that came up so i think it would be valuable to have 
an ad hoc committee because uh, this is a huge uh, change to land use and with very two very admirable competing values. And it's we're not the first county or state to address this. Um, I'm hearing about California and Rhode Island so far that have dealt with some of this. So we've, we might have some other things coming in and also some of the externalities of solar and how to look at those in comparison. Especially it looks like California has really gone through this issue and determining what lands would be appropriate and what not in agricultural areas of the state. And that's just the quick overview, of a very quick overview of what I've seen come back to me already. So I think it's it would be helpful. And if we want to keep this moving uh, quickly, this would be one way to do it. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Commissioner Willie. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. I would nominate Commissioner Carpenter to head up an ad hoc committee. <laughs> Luke Sinclair Chair, also I think a good suggestion. Um, it, to clarify, the I assume the committee then would be um, working closely and in conjunction with uh, with planning and county staff on on this. Um, Jim Carpenter Planning Commission. Yes, that would be the that is what we would like it for because planning the staff knows what they're proposing and i know they're struggling with big issues also and it would and some of us have some backgrounds in some of this that i think all just bouncing our ideas off of each other might help us come up with uh some way to move forward where we don't tip the balance one way or other or put even additional stress on the farmland that we're talking about tonight uh, unnecessarily. So, yeah, I think that's the idea is to work closely and, and not just for an ad hoc committee to be running wild on our own and second guessing staff that we'd be working hand in hand. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter, Luke Sinclair Chair. Commissioner Willie. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. I think specifically we're asking to see if anyone can join us at 12, from 12.30 to 2.30 on Wednesday, September the 1st, because we actually have a standing date on the calendar with staff. Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you, Commissioner Willie. Are, are there any commissioners that would like to participate in this committee? Commissioner Rexford, I see your hand up. I'd be happy to participate. Uh, Thank you, Commissioner Rexford, Luke Sinclair Chair. Commissioner Ashworth, were you raising your hand to participate as well? Commissioner, Commissioner Ashworth, I think the four of you would be, would be great. Um, okay, so then I guess as chair, you know, I'd like to uh, create an ad hoc committee to work um, sort of hand in hand with uh, planning and county staff to explore uh, explore the uh, oh, commercial utility scale solar energy conversion systems um, regulations that are um, in works and look to ways to um, 
ways that may or may not need to be improved um, and revised. And I want to uh, have Commissioner Carpenter serve as the presiding member and have Commissioners Willie Ashworth and Rex Road participate as well. My motion is to do that. Is there a second? Commissioner Carter, uh, since you're not participating, I'll, I'll take you. Seconded by hand motion. Um, I mean, you are participating. You're just not going to be on this committee. Disinterested party. Uh, any other comments before Jeff calls the roll on that one? I don't see any. Jeff, can you call the roll for that? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Rexrub? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes nine to zero. Luke Sinclair Chair, uh, thank you so much to all uh, five of you, I think, who have agreed to serve on those two <laughs> committees. Um, and it'd probably be a lot of work, but I, I really appreciate your willingness and interest in, in doing that. And I look forward, and I think probably the whole commission looks forward to hearing back from you as part of, of these as they come back to us. Um, Jeff, are there any other items that we need to talk about tonight? <laughs> Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. We have uh, no other miscellaneous new or old business on the, the staff side of the table. Excellent. Luke Sinclair, Chair, thank you all. Um, I guess when we need a uh, motion to adjourn. Commissioner uh, Ashworth, so moved. Luke Sinclair, Chair, thank you, Commissioner Ashworth. We have a motion to adjourn. We have a second. Commissioner Willie with the second by hand motion. Um, do we, or Jeff, can you just call the roll on that? Certainly, Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Rexrub? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Commissioner Willie. Yes. Motion passes nine to zero. Luke Sinclair Chair, very well. Thank you everyone so much. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks. All right.